Hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Today's episode is dedicated to the recently released uh, The World of Ice and Fire. This is our general first impressions, things that stood out to us, just, uh, we've only had a couple of days, a little bit longer than most of you to read it as Target was selling these early <laughs> like a full Thanks, nine Target. days early they were selling it so they're not quite as first uh, as uh, the rest of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I, um, I'm, I'm excited we got our we got our books at a, at a great deal um, mm-hmm. you, Shea got hers at yeah. Target with 30% off we, got our, yeah, we each uh, got one right here oh, we've nice. got our double yeah. our double action here yeah um, I pre-ordered I pre-ordered a copy in February 2013 because the book was originally supposed to be out mm-hmm. last year and the cool thing about that was I got the book for $15 and 50 <laughs> some cents which is like 70% off because of that pre-order price so yeah. Go me. I suppose this is a good place to talk about uh, right here is just some of the differences between the different, um, the UK version and the US version. Yeah. Uh, the US version, as you saw, is this uh, this reddish orange color, and it's got like a, it's like a nice cushiony kind of cover. Um, the cover is non-removable. Uh, it's not a dust jacket or anything like that. Whereas uh, the UK edition, which you might have seen the cover for that as well, is a black cover. Uh, and are they? Are people in the UK black fires or something? <laughs> but, uh, Apparently. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and it's removable, and when you remove it, it's got, like, a, a dragon on the cover and, like, gold foil. Uh, I'm very happy we're in the U.S. right about now, because this is a, feels like a hefty, hardy book. Yeah, I, I wish we had a version of a UK yeah, version we could to show hold you. up and, and compare, but <laughs> in any way... The outside of the book is, of course, only a, yeah. a, a small detail. What matters is what's on the inside. And given how much we and you all love the backstory, legends, myths, and, and far-flung places in the world George mm-hmm. R. Martin has provided <laughs> <laughs> f- uh, for us, uh, the world of ice and fire is kind of like a gift from the gods in, in a way. And now we have a lot more gods to <laughs> add to the pile there now that we have this book. So sometimes piecing together a Song of Ice and, history, a Song of ice and Fire history requires picking obscure references and tying them together, grabbing like a sentence from one book and another sentence from another book and just piecing that together. Well, here we just have entire sections all put together uh, just about, you know, about uh, specific historical topics, things we've been wanting to know for a while. And, you know, just all, I just can't even name all the different possibilities. But it's so wonderful to have everything in one place, even though we still have plenty of questions left unanswered. This answers so many new questions. It also creates a few new ones. But it's a, it's a great book, and we're really happy with it. And not just the text, though. Yeah, this is the first time we've had so much really great art in one place that's also really accurate. I mean, there are the Art of Ice and Fire books. There's two volumes of that out, and there are the the yearly calendars, which has one artist do each calendar. Um, so not taking anything away from that. Those are awesome. Yeah. But, but uh, a lot of those pieces suffer from being inaccurate. But I just have to say, some of the pieces in the World of Ice and Fire are also inaccurate, but a some of them, yeah. them are more accurate, <laughs> yeah. and uh, a little more thought into uh, thought went into some of them than is usual, I think. Um, one of the artists um, that's in the World of Ice and Fire, Magali Villeneuve, I think is how you say it? Um, I think it's Villeneuve, because she's French. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I just read <laughs> it as more, like, yeah. Spanish. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, anyways, Magali is... Uh, one of the artists in the World of Ice and Fire, she did some great pieces. She did, maybe she's maybe one of the ones in there the most. Uh, she mm-hmm. did the Mistresses of uh, 
of Aegon the Fourth and the Wives of Megor Pictures. Um, she also did one of my favorite pieces, which is the one of Maria Martell and Rainies, um, one of her best pieces in there, I think. But she's doing the 2016 A Song of Ice and Fire calendar. Um, she's going to be the first female artist to do so, um, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, next year is um, Donato. Giancola, yeah, yeah, certainly. No. We, which I, we already have. It came. It comes out early. Obviously, we got that one, which is pretty cool, um, as well. But uh, he did not do any for this. Um, Ted Nasmith, yeah. who did, um, I think it was the 2011 calendar. Um, all those castles that I'm sure you've all seen, very, very um, popular images. You know, well, well deserved. Uh, he did a lot of pieces for this. Some of those pieces are just in it, but some of them are new pieces by him in here. Uh, the art is all um, in the back. It's nicely cataloged, yeah. too. You can look in the back, and there's an appendix of, of which artist did what on which page. So mm -hmm. you can easily reference. Um, you can make comparisons between the different artists, and it's, it's nicely organized that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, that, but like we said... Um, this art should still not just be taken as being accurate. It's not all accurate. Um, one thing, for, for instance, Magali, her Tywin has blue eyes. Tywin is clearly described as whoops. having green eyes many times. <laughs> That's just a whoops, but uh, just some of the some dragon cases, colors. Uh, yeah, are dragon just colors, horse whatever. colors yeah. sometimes. You know, it's minor. But there is one, um, well, a little bit of a light on on the art in the book for me which is um there's a dragonstone piece done by philip right straw at the beginning. like mm -hmm. right at the beginning it's the first end paper you know the full like like in the cover uh it's one of those it's just a nice dragonstone piece um it had been seen before the book came out it's the you know the opening thing of course people were going to see it and take a picture of it um and someone with a far more discerning eye than i did uh noticed that it was made with uh, manipulated skyrim dragons and orthanc from orthanc from lord of the rings yeah of the it's, rings. it looks like it's it's like it's <laughs> Parts There's of it no look, denying yeah, it. Like it's clearly. Uh, so I mean, image ma manipulation is an art form, but I just I can't imagine that he asked for permission for Sky for just you know from Skyrim and from Lord of the Rings. So that's a little disappointing. But that's just you know one piece in the whole book. There was also recently a talk, uh, a 92Y talk that was hosted by Tumblr. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the um, moderator, when she yeah. announced it in front of everybody, called it Twitter. Yeah, that must did. have been embarrassing. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> too, 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 too funny. <laughs> but uh, there were some yeah, cool little things. A lot of cool detail from yeah. that, that. It was that a better interview the... than most, but yeah. still, interviews with George are, are rarely very good. Yeah, they just they ask they, questions. They just ask bad questions. Yeah, the moderator, yeah. unfortunately, wasn't. seems like she didn't prepare very well. Yeah, she didn't know like how to pronounce like, certain names, yeah. like literally basic names. Like she didn't even know how to pronounce Clegane. Yeah. I mean, or, that, or Sigil. Yeah, or Sigil. <laughs> she said Sigil. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Which is, you know, we're, we're nitpicking, but we yeah. really would, you know, we would really prefer to see good questions get asked. Yeah. And not that many good questions were asked. But, on the other hand, George is really good at digressing, and he would take mm -hmm. some of these questions that weren't very interesting and make the answers interesting. So, good on George mm -hmm. for, for turning the situation around. It was, it was very good overall. We're, we're complaining yeah. a little bit, but yeah, like it, I was, said, it was great. It's a much better interview than is normally the case. Normally, they're like, who's your favorite character? And at least that wasn't asked. <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. And in fact, uh, George talked about the art a lot. He talked about yeah. how, some of the same things we just said, about how it was more accurate in general. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he, he mentioned Ted Naismith as perhaps the most accurate. Um, that was maybe off the top of his head, but yeah. that certainly means something. Yeah, yeah. He um, said that with regards to his own imagination and the books themselves, he probably gave him more, the him more um, direction back then. Now, Harper had originally asked him for about 50,000 words for The World of Ice and Fire, and he wrote six times that, nice 300,000. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the book itself yeah. only has about 180K, so there's a good 120,000, close to half of what he wrote that didn't make the book. So there's still a lot out there. We know that's not just yeah. in the trash. <laughs> yeah. So we'll actually have a little more yeah, about we'll, we'll that missing material more. later. It's uh yeah, very uh hard to accept. Yeah. There's all these words <laughs> that are out there, they're written, they're there and we don't have them. But one, one great uh funny thing that came up was George having getting the question of what his house would be in. And, and oh yeah. It turned out to be House Martin deadline. What deadline? <laughs> Very That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. And we, uh, what else do we have? Uh, we um, have that uh, he said that uh, the ink blots that we maybe had mentioned before and that you maybe you had heard of before, that they said they were going to have ink blots to, you know, cover up things about Summer Hall or just certain things they didn't want to spoil, they didn't want to go into. They would have it as if that had been spilled. But he said that they thought that readers would think they got an effective copy, so they cut the ink blots, which is uh, too bad. Yeah, that is too bad. Yeah. But it's it's still, you know, they had to do what they had to do. Yeah, I like the idea that. that. They talked about <laughs> it for a long time in advance of the book coming out about those ink blots. But, uh... Now, a couple more things before we get involved in the text itself. Um, one thing is that the the book itself of course we have we're not going to be able to cover everything in it we're going to do a lot of this is an overview we're not this is not as detailed or heavily researched as a lot of our other episodes but we certainly didn't you know, mm-hmm. we certainly prepared plenty for it yeah. in the same way but it's not you know we didn't write out a whole long script for this one uh, this is more of a discussion okay. episode which we're going to do maybe a little more often we're not going to cut back on our detailed heavy detail oriented episodes where we get really in depth on subjects but we're going to try to add some more of these um, we're making more of a focus on this uh, on the podcast in general in our in our life, mm-hmm. um, and uh, moving forward, we expect to be putting out more episodes. Of course, I've said that before, but this time, uh, there's a lot of circumstances that make that different. So, mm-hmm. without getting into too much detail with that, because that's not what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for tuning in today, and of course, you can you can still support the History of Westeros podcast with a donation. Um, go to historyofwesteros.com and click on donate. Uh, we're looking at, as we've described in our very recently published Battle of Ice 3 episode, we're, we're expanding on ways to help the show, and we'll have some announcements with that soon. But it's only been a few days since we recorded the Battle of Ice, so we haven't uh, finished all that up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, was a, there was an AMA, Ask Me Anything, mm-hmm. um, on Reddit. Uh, with Linda and Elio. And, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, they talked a bit about, you know, AMA, so they just got asked questions. Um, it wasn't quite an AMA. It was more of a, yeah. people ask anything, <laughs> and then they, the the moderators choose the question, the, the top questions, and you then they ask, ask anything, it. but you want to get it yeah. answered. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they talked a bit about the theories that they personally subscribe to and theories that they dislike. They, of course, threw shade at the bolt-on theory. Right. And the, the, the howling re- Im- yeah. basically. It's a theory that, yeah, Bruce is like a vampire, and he, it's, it's, we joked about that yeah. one in the last episode. Yeah, too. <laughs> it's got a nice name at least. We, I actually really appreciate Linda and Elio killing some of these theories yeah. like that because I, I, I've said before that I think theory making is fun and no one should ever just get mad at somebody else for coming up with their own theories. That's just, it's, that just defeats the purpose of having fun with your favorite series. But it doesn't mean we have to take them all seriously either mm-hmm. and think, oh, this deserves to be taken, <laughs> you know, we think this is a legitimate chance of it happening. Some of these theories are just pure fun. Mm-hmm. Some of them... Are actually have a chance to be accurate, and so he, you know, they they knocked off a yeah, lot of these ones. Of, those... of course, they don't know for sure. Yeah. it's not like they've talked to George no. about all these specifically. But they're as big of an authority as you can get on the material, besides George himself. And pretty much every theory they, you know, threw shade on, I was 
I agreed with. Yeah, yeah I was I, like, I, I, I was like, of course. Of I course. don't subscribe to but, any of those theories that were yeah. that were killed off. <laughs> but yeah, they 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 specifically poke they poked fun at the Howland Reed is the High Septon theory, as well as all of those terrible mythology theories. Yeah, that, the, well, I want to say something about that. Some of those mythology theories aren't terrible in their detail, but in their conclusions. Okay, yeah. Few of, I don't the, like the few of the theories are terrible in their detail. To have a theory, yeah, you have to come up with true. the detail. It's that they make these conclusions just not really thinking about the series as as a whole. It doesn't make sense from a literary, from any perspective, for George to have just made Jamie Lannister uh, compare exactly like this. You know, yeah, you can only take those things so far. Uh, yeah. The comparisons are fun. Again, yeah. if you like that theory. <laughs> Go ahead, you know, it, yeah. enjoy it. Oh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying it in the least. You should have fun with whatever you want to have fun with. But as far as trying to look at it seriously and say, is this accurate? Mm-hmm. Eh, as far think, as mm. commenting on everything online, telling people about the theory, I don't know about <laughs> that. That's pretty annoying to me. And the mythology <laughs> people comment on everything. Yeah. But uh, they also said they didn't think the Clegane Bull theory was really going anywhere. That's, of course, the theory that uh, Gregor Clegane, um, as Sir Robert Strong, will fight uh, Sandor Clegane uh for, you know, for for, for, the, for, the, for Cersei's trial, yeah, yeah, we don't. We we've said yeah. the same thing. We just don't see how that could happen it just, because it's cool. It's Sandor is too but, injured, yeah. too far away. Things yeah. are happening. At the, and why would he be? Why would he even be suggested? That's that's yeah. besides the point. The main yeah, point is that they, how yeah. would he even be able to fight this guy? Like it would just be a slaughter yeah. if they even let him do it. So yeah, that but they one, may. That doesn't mean they won't have some sort of reckoning down the yeah. line as far as them fighting in this trial. Yeah. Yeah. But we are getting <laughs> off topic already, so <laughs> let's get back into it. Um, uh, yeah, they also... some more of the some more of the stuff about the AMA real quick. Yeah, they had a nice quote where they said they said that uh, that Paris George's wife told told them that he was writing like a man possessed. <laughs> Westeros was just coming to life in his head, uh, which is certainly nice to hear. That's yeah, really awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. Like, so yeah. people who thought that some people have complained that he even did this book, saying that he should be spending time on the main series. Well. If this stuff just came pouring out of him like yeah. that, so, well, that just goes that's to show. Not, yeah. it, 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 a lot of times, the main series can't just you know it's it's yeah. a lot more complicated. And that's just <laughs> not how creativity works. You, yeah. If you if you if you feel you really want to be writing about something and you just work on something else, you're gonna just not do your best work. That happens with us just writing our own topics. Yeah. We're not even inventing these topics ourselves. Obviously, we're we're touching on topics that already exist in, in Westeros and and elsewhere. But, yeah. but as far as which ones we have ideas on and which ones we're able to put to paper. Uh, you know, in a fluid way. Yeah. That's why we talk about having so many different episodes we're working on because that's really true. We have this, yeah, we have this st- stash of, of, of Google Docs that have all these different half-completed, <laughs> third-completed, maybe just some notes, you know. And some of them are just like two sentences long and some of them <laughs> are like many, many pages waiting to be made into an episode. <laughs> so. Yeah, when you were working on the, the Battle of Ice Part 3 and the World of Ice and Fire, we had it and you were just... <laughs> It's hard to, to focus on that when you just want to, you know, yep. work on the road back and fire. It's very true. But uh, <laughs> Unusual challenge there. But yeah, another cool thing they talked about in the AMA um, was what, very early on that one of the planned illustrations that they had in the book would, would have been a Maester star chart showing the constellations as they exist in the setting, marking out the 12 houses of heaven and so on. Um, which would be interesting. They got cut really early on, you know, in the plan stage, but it was just a cool little detail that they were thinking about doing. Yeah. Uh, so the book itself, the way it's presented, this is, most of you know this by now, but just in case, and to okay. rehash, the book itself is an in-world history book. It's not uh, a book where there's a narrator that just knows everything and can tell you every detail in history. This is a maester writing a book 
in Westeros, <laughs> and he's collecting his sources from other material in Westeros and other places. And so there's co- conflicts, there's inconsistencies, there's, in some cases, there's flat-out errors, and there's some cases that the maester says something really vague that we actually as readers know a lot more about because mm-hmm. because that would that you know that that just fits the maester shouldn't know these things the maester shouldn't know some of these small details mm-hmm. of what some of these pov characters were thinking because mm-hmm. that's that's only open to us readers that's not open to this particular mm-hmm. maester maester yandel oh name. yeah yeah so there's also some interesting uh, things that we notice like how history can misrepresent somebody mm-hmm. a good example just off the top of the head here is is mace tyrell and the way that Mace Tyrell is presented in this book is as the Lord of Highgarden. You know, he fought loyally for House Targaryen verse during Robert's <laughs> Rebellion. And he was the only one to defeat Robert in a battle. Now, <laughs> we've read the books. We know that really Randall Tarly Samuel's father was responsible for that victory because Mace hadn't even gotten there <laughs> by the time the battle was won. Yet Mace claimed credit for it. And so history gives him credit for it because mm-hmm. Mace is, you know, a higher ranking lord than Randall Tarly. And so, in other words, we have characters that are painted as kind of heroic or, or successful where we, we know the truth. They're kind of idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to take everything you read with a grain of salt in this case. Yeah. These things are all from history. Some of these characters might be portrayed as amazing figures, but really they may have just been, you yeah. know, the consequence of history, just the way it worked out, the circumstances. So, yeah. so that makes it, that, that creates, to me, that creates a very realistic living history book that feels like, it feels authentic, even though it's in a fantasy world. Uh, but George, once again, shows how good he is at making uh, a fantasy world real uh, by taking the elements of the real world uh, and porting them over into fantasy and keeping those while adding the fantastical elements in the background. So mm-hmm. it's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, real quick, again, before we get started, there are a couple of other formats this is in. It's not just in oh, book yeah. form. Of course, there's an ebook, which, you know, we already have that, of course. It's got the illustrations on it, too. They're not, yeah. obviously not as big uh, if you're looking at them on an, on an iPad or iPhone screen or any sort of smartphone or mm-hmm. tablet. It's not going to be as big and glorious as the book, but it's really good. They, the, the images mm-hmm. are small, and you can click price. them and get bigger. Yeah, and you can even, yeah, there's the search, search being able to search yeah. through the book is amazing. That's a, Of course, that's a requirement for yeah. us for searching for references and looking for, you know, we're looking for a certain name. Yeah. I've already gone through the book and looked for every mention of Lomas Longstrider yeah. and Septon Barth, for just to name a couple. Yeah. And those are, we're building those for future episodes. And how impossible would that be if I had to pour through yeah. each book and just look for the title, you know, yeah, that, no. without that crazy. e-copy? It would yeah, be I went, when I first got it, the first thing I did was I made a list of things that I wanted to look, just search in the book to see what was mentioned, like Nymeria, you know? Mm-hmm. But I also looked up stuff like Queen, just because I was just curious about certain certain aspects. Um, but yeah, Lomas Longstrider is a good one. Um, later on, we fo- we pulled all the mentions about this black stone, this oily black stone, which yep. was essential for us to be able to look up black stone. Yeah, so we're gonna get uh, we're gonna we have a lot of these topics that yeah. we've just given an overview on here. And of course, the book is also available in audio form. Um, I've already listened to it through once that way, and <laughs> I've read the book through once that way. And I plan on continuing to listen to it over and over. It's about 22 hours of audio. 
The main audio is read by none other than Roy Dotrice, who mm-hmm. a lot of you know from the audiobooks. Some of you don't like Roy Dotrice, and I can kind of understand that because he's 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 been asked to do voices that are hard for an older man yeah. to do, like young like young girls. They really need to have a female narrator. But this is just straight history. No. There's no voices. He's doing his natural voice, and it's perfect. I and mean, he's got a great narrator, historian, yeah. narrator type voice. I love it. Mm-hmm. And the sidebars. Now, the sidebars are little small tidbits of, of, of history that appear, you know, in the side of certain pages. Yeah. Um, or in the center as a kind of a, out, a kind of a subtopic within whatever main topic is being discussed at the time. Those are read by a different person. I forgot oh, to look are. up his okay. name. Yeah, he has a diff- much different that. voice. I was voice. curious how they did that. Do they just, like, finish a section and then say, sidebar? Do they do anything? How do they uh, do it? It just stops, pauses, and the guy starts talking. And it's okay. clearly a different person. His voice is very But it, like, cuts different. it off, like, like, in the middle of, like, a... Like, no, there's always a does. sentence where it always ends in a good oh, spot okay. and then the sidebar okay. starts. Yeah, yeah. I was- was very curious about and that. And the guy, it's funny, a, a regular listener slash fan, Iontrone, uh, on Twitter pointed out that he, this guy's voice sounds a bit like C-3PO. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I have to agree with that. He does sound a little bit like C-3PO. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but he has a good voice. That's not a, that's not a negative. Um, mm-hmm. So I've really enjoyed listening to it, uh, and I think you guys might too. We've just put up links on our front page. You can order it. Um, in audio form or in e-form. Although if you're ordering in audio form, they have that that free... That's true. Yeah. That's a good time to, to mention this. Uh, pro tip here. And if you mm. have not tried audible.com, you can... Amazon is offering a free trial of, of, of Audible right now. And if you sign up, you don't pay anything for 30 days and you can cancel before that. So... Mm-hmm. With that free trial, you get three free audiobook downloads. And when you know it, this one is available. So you can mm-hmm. sign up for Audible and download, because they're owned by Amazon now. Uh, they can down, you can download the book for free in audio format and then never pay anything. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I couldn't resist that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so if you're already a regular Audible user, well, sorry, you're just going to you're just gonna have to buy it. But yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's not nearly as expensive as the regular book, and you can get it through us. Uh, it won't cost any more. You can go order it through our website. It's, it just gives us a, a little bit of a bonus for referring you to it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it doesn't cost you any yeah. extra. So that's a good and way to support the show. And if you're buying the hard copy book, you can follow any of our links and get it that way. But we can't link it there. Um, it just doesn't let us for some reason. Yeah, probably it's just because it's such a hot item. Yeah, but still, yeah. We, it, it, they don't need us to advertise it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... Let's yeah. get into some of our favorite things yeah. that we actually picked out, some of our yeah. favorite topics, well, some see. mysteries that were revealed, some new mysteries. Well, first that were off, started. it's pretty clear the long night story it exists in almost every culture. Yeah, a that variant was one of, the major... of it. It's like the flood, you know, it's similar to flood stories in real life. Right, right. Uh, yeah, almost every re- major religion and culture has has a mm-hmm. flood story. Uh, you know, the most the most popular one for us Westerners mm-hmm. is the Noah and the Ark. Well. Just about every culture in Planetos has some sort of version of the Long Night. They don't mention the others, except in Westeros. No. But they do mention fighting they mention a thing. Something. They're fighting something, clearly. It varies wildly yeah. from tale to tale, yeah. but they all tend to have the same general substance. And some of them even them. mention, you know, having a Lightbringer. Yes, exactly. There's some. So. There's, there's various versions of Lightbringer <laughs> and Azor Ahai. Yeah. yeah, and so that's really cool, uniting a uh, united narrative there throughout yeah. the book. The maester, the maester writing the book doesn't necessarily draw all that together, though. Huh. Um, so that was left to us. But I think that even a casual reading would would make would, would note that uh, it's 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 really yeah. neat though to see that that so so think about what that means. What does it mean that the long night affected everywhere? Is yeah. it is it a is, was it just worse in Westeros? Well, George did mention in the ninety two Y interview that 
part of the reason Westeros, well, maybe it wasn't in the 92Y, but he said this. <laughs> well, that part of the reason that winters are a bit worse in Westeros is because the continent is simply farther north. It's just higher up uh, towards the, uh, you know, the the, the pole, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if they have a north pole, but the equivalent of a north pole, Westeros is just far closer to it than, than places in Essos. Bravos is about as far north as Essos gets until you get a lot farther east. Yeah, Bravos only lines up with Ibn, about the of course, yeah. right uh, with, yeah. with some exceptions. There's the islands there, which are pretty, which are pretty far away. But yeah, so even if we look at Ib, though Ib isn't as far north as even the Wall. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty close, though. So yeah. um, so that's pretty interesting that the Long Night just affected everybody, and even in some of these cultures that are old enough to have like relatively intact histories, like yeah. ET. They, you know, they they even have stories about it. So yeah, which it's, is just so it's, interesting it's really to me huge. when they talk about a hero there, because I can't help but wonder, would wouldn't the the stand have to have been over there for them to have had these stories? Uh, it really, really got me thinking. I, I don't have any conclusions to draw from it, except that it's weird to me that there would be like Hirkun the hero all the way over there who did his last stand all the way over there, unless that's like. Uh, unless something like the Five Forts, which we'll get into more, is one of the like hinges of the world, and they did attack there, and that's why that wall. We'll get into it more. There's a uh, almost a thousand foot tall wall, which sounds a lot like the wall, except not ice. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder: did they attack from that side as well? I, I just, yeah, I, I, I it's don't hard know. To tell. It's, 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 it's very tantalizing, but it, it, it yeah. reveals as much as it. To, you know, confuses because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, and it should because it's really, really, really ancient. There's no way these maesters no. could possibly have you know like eyewitness accounts of things that happened before yeah. there was writing. I mean, that's just not no. possible or even reasonable. No. So it's left to be just a great mystery that we get to think about. Yeah. Um, there's also some notes related to that on the seasons. George has already outright said in interviews that the seasons have a magical explanation to them. That is actually touched on here. There is uh, a new indication, something that George hadn't said before, that maybe the seasons weren't off. Maybe they were normal. Mm-hmm. And this may have been, whatever happened during the long night may have been what changed things semi-permanently uh, to the state that they are now. Uh, Septon Barth, who I've already mentioned mm-hmm. once, Good was the... Septon Barth. <laughs> he, yeah, he was the hand of the king for Jaehaerys, the old king, and he was hand for about 40 years. He was a common-born man, and he... Pretty much everything he says is accurate. That's something to look mm-hmm. out for. I mean, I'm not saying that everything he says is definitely accurate, but he, but the maester doesn't agree with a lot of what he says. But he's been yeah. proven right so many times, yeah. and he was such a he was he was such a uh, outstanding mm-hmm. scholarly figure during his time. He's kind of like what a lot of us think about as old Nan. Old Nan, yeah. we've come to find that a lot mm-hmm. of what she's her old stories are true, mm-hmm. if, if 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 not exaggerated a bit, but they're at the core they're true. And so old Nan is almost like a an oracle that you have to kind of decode what she's saying, but it's pretty accurate. Septon Barth is kind of similar. So I think yeah. we're going to do an episode say, on him. Yeah, I would say that in general, if the maester disagrees with something and thinks it's just wrong, that you should take a closer look at especially that Especially if it's Especially if it's related to magic. Yeah, because you especially, know the, yeah. Especially the maesters are always magic, down yeah. on anything. They, 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 they don't like to accept magical explanations so readily. Yeah. Um, which is good, in our, which would be fine, you know, in the real world. But mm-hmm. there really is lots of magic in, in Planeta, <laughs> so you can't just dismiss that stuff out of hand. Uh, so personally, some of my favorite little miniature discoveries. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been wanting to know what color Meraxes and Vagar were forever. 
<laughs> so long. I almost burned my one Q&A question to George at Con Carolinas on what color is Vagar. <laughs> uh, I asked a different question. But I still want to know what color Vagar is, and unfortunately this book does not reveal it. But we got halfway there. Maraxes, green eyes, silver scales. That sounds yes. really, really fascinating, really awesome, like mm. beautiful, like silver yeah. scales <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah but unfortunately none of the art in here depicts her that way um sure, but she like, still looks like really red cool wing. the artist just always does the dragons as having like kind of reddish wings yeah uh, but the dragons yeah. do look really cool but they're just not quite the right color but that's yeah. okay we can we, that's not a big deal yeah. yeah um okay some other just some of these things we're gonna come out we just got some random yeah, tidbits and things yeah. we're gonna get into more uh, more seriously but here's a here's a cool one house blackwood they were mm-hmm. originally, we know that they're one of the, if not the only southern house that keeps to the old gods. They didn't originate in the south, though. They originated in the north. Then uh, they may have controlled what is now the Wolfswood. Mm-hmm. Blackwood, that area of the Wolfswood is where they held sway. Mm-hmm. And it seems likely enough to me that when they were chased out of the north, which is what happened, they were defeated uh, and then kind of exiled or banned or fled the north and settled where they are now in what, what they call Blackwood Vale. Well, it's not really... The woods of Blackwood Vale aren't really now, aren't where they get their name from. So we think that the Wolfswood used to be named the Blackwood, and when the Starks kind of took it over, it either got renamed the Wolfswood by just the people that lived there, or the Starks officially changed the name or something. Like, this is a nominous name, Blackwood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not the Wolfswood is a whole lot better. Yeah, But, but it is better. <laughs> better than Blackwood, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we tried to, there's some other mysteries that we tried to look for, like just random little things like, say, how long did Lord Rickard rule? Uh, Lord Rickard being Ned's father. And that helps us piece together things like, how long did Edwile, his father, rule? Which helps us piece together other things like names and dates and, and who did what. Sometimes it's hard to explain how a certain detail leads us to something else, but <laughs> that is how it works. And we, were, we weren't able to figure out... When Rickard took over as Lord of Winterfell, but we did know we we can see that he was Lord at least as far back as 262, which is just after the War of Nine Penny Kings, and uh, about three years after Summerhall. Hmm. And yeah. uh, I I certainly would like to know more about that, but we'll have to maybe wait for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Me personally, some of my favorite sections were on those far off uh, regions. A lot of it really very ancient stuff, but uh, that's the most new to us like completely new stuff and uh yeah it just gives me a lot to think about um but i particularly liked this kingdom of sarnor which was well described in all the various uh, the cities within it where you know we have sarnath with the palace of a thousand rooms and the tall towers which sounds pretty cool all these sar and sad names <laughs> hard to keep them straight but uh sathar the waterfall city um which the art of sathar it shows the dithraki um coming after it um but they don't show any waterfalls in the art, so I'm not sure if what Waterfall City means. It's just incorrect art. I myself picture the Waterfall City from Dinotopia, for those of you who know that series. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my favorite of the cities mentioned, though, was uh, Salosh by the Silver Shore with its great library, which is pretty clearly, you know, similar to Alexandria, mm-hmm. um, especially as we have that, uh, we have this quote, um, for scholars and students of history, the fall of Salosh by the Silver Shore was especially tragic for when that city of scholars burned, its great library was not spared and most of the history of the tall men and the peoples who had gone before them were lost for all time. Tragic, truly <laughs> tragic. They rode yeah. and they rode coal black horses, but the yeah. greatest warriors had scythe chariots with blood red horses. And the scythe yeah. chariots are, you know, that's a real world thing. Those yeah. existed back in the 
uh, as far back as ancient Egypt. They were also on the battlefields against uh, when the Persian kings fought Alexander the Great. And mm. so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Of course, they were actually very easy to deal with once people figured out the strategy. <laughs> but that's a whole other yeah. topic. But uh, it's not depicted in the art. Um, the horses just kind of look like normal horses. They're not coal black or blood red. But it is cool that women drove chariots as well. Um, you know, gender equality or at least a closer version than Westeros. We can't be sure exactly how equal it really was. I'm sure it wasn't really that equal. Right. But the, the... Uh, they, at least let, they at least went to war together, which um, reminds me of the Roinar and Dorne. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't help but wonder what, you know, if the Sarnor and Roinar... Uh, there's some connection there. Well, basically, um, they weren't ruled. They didn't follow the religion of the seven, which is very uh, patriarchal. Yeah. So that's I think that's a big part of it. It's you know, it's like there's cultural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, the Andals are the main purveyors of culture in Westeros. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we also have other far off regions like Lang and Yiti, which are very Asian in feel. Very yeah. uh, there's a lot of China. Lang is really tall. And, they have that uh, illustration. Yeah, there's some great there's some illustrations woman. of the average looking. Yeah, you can't. Of course, it's, they couldn't resist saying all the women are amazingly beautiful, <laughs> legged, beautiful. That's the that's the you know. Are they now? Yeah, mm. all of them, every single one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and but, there's this there's this ancient empire or region or yeah, the something kingdom called, of Hiracoon. called the or is the patrimony of Hiracoon, the patrimony yeah that's true the patrimony and that their last remnants of of the patrimony of Hiracoon are still existing now Daenerys and, sees some warrior maids from um Baisabad Kayakayana and Samiriana and the Baya, they they wear rubies in yeah. their cheeks and that's and she takes iron care of that and iron rings in, rings their, rings nipples, in their nipples and they're which... warrior they're they're all they're all badass <laughs> Um, maybe some sort of maybe a, a nod to the Amazons or something. Or yeah, just, just, yeah, pretty clearly. I think a nod. A, I, why not yeah. just have warrior women? Yeah, like <laughs> uh, yeah. It's kind of uh, funny uh, there. Uh, it looks like my notes were removed about it. Oh no, I, it wasn't. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. Well, Ninety nine of every hundred men in these regions are gelded. Only a few men are worthy of becoming reading. the great fathers, yeah. as they're called. But uh, yeah, Lomas Longshatter himself tells us that there are no fiercer fighters on all the earth than these female, all female warriors um, that these re- these places have, which is was pretty neat. Um, but uh, yeah, other cool reg- other cool uh, sections that we liked. Um, obviously, the story of Castamir, mm, which um, we got to hear him read uh, himself. Yeah, uh, uh, at Con Carolinas, Carolinas right? um, so it wasn't exactly new to us, but it's still an outstanding good, uh, part yeah, of the book. Yeah, to correct our little whatever things we got wrong in our notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's utterly brutal yeah, about, about drowning, about drowning them. <laughs> now there's there's also some great stories about the Ironborn, uh, the Grey King. Of course, we know he killed Naga, but there's a really cool little quote that um, one of our uh, listeners, Bill Davis the Third, pointed out. He pointed out to us <laughs> the. Carved that the Grey King carved the first long ship from the quote hard pale wood of Ig Y G G, which is a nod to the uh, Scandinavian earth uh, tree of life called Idrigazil. Same spelling Y G G, but without the Idrigazil, hmm. just the Y G G. This is a quote uh, continuing the quote: a demon tree who fed on human flesh. Well, listeners to our uh, of our Werewoods episodes note the similarity between. The notion of blood offering blood sacrifice to a tree and the concept of a tree that fed on human flesh—it's easy to see how the distortion of history could 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 take 
offering blood, you know, blood and body parts to a heart tree as seeing as the tree having eaten it. Mm. Uh, so, which is really interesting because we're told that there were no necessarily weren't any werewoods or children on the Iron Islands, but of course we've profit we've we've hypothesized that maybe the the Naga's ribs were potentially. Yeah. Uh, werewoods as well. That's not necessarily a super strong theory, but it's certainly mm. possible. It's uh, possible. Maybe the Grey King carved this long ship from a, a you know a werewood on land. I mean, oh, on the, on the, that's he doesn't have to I have never, carved I, yeah, it I never, from the Iron Islands. Yeah, I never considered that it was. Yeah, I mean, they made a long ship out of werewood, and then there that's the remnants. That's possible. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not really clear on it, how how. Uh, well, they're how they're definitely they look like looks like. Well, they're yeah. definitely coming up yeah. out of the ground like ribs. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, but you're but it's a good point though. If if it if a ship was carved out of weirwood, I think we talked about this briefly before. Yeah. It would eventually turn to stone. Yeah. Wouldn't be very useful as a ship. Because <laughs> this thing is yeah. a stone ship that that works. So yeah, where'd that stone go exactly? Yeah. But, so uh, if this uh, if this ship was truly really existed, well, it's probably at the bottom of the ocean itself. Yeah, and just perhaps it. In the Grey King, or in the Down God's Watery Hall. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's still riding it down there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there were some, uh, we're going to talk about just some cool names and little tidbits. And yeah, we're just just talking about little things that stood out to us. But uh, we find out who the wife of Viserys II was, uh, Lara Rogare. Lara Rogare. Which I just love that name. I'm crazy about it. It just rolls off the tongue really well. It just sounds cool. She was from Lys. Got some art of her as well. Wasn't, yeah, we got art of her as well. She maybe wasn't the best person. I don't know what the circumstances are, but she did just ditch out on her family. Just Mm -hmm. left to go back there. But maybe she didn't like Westeros. It was, she was worried there. People were threatening her. I, who knows? The we don't, we don't know, know the story. Major doesn't know the whole story. But maybe, maybe she just didn't want to have her take care of her kids anymore. Who knows? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she was cool. There was um, Sabbath of Viperin, who was fond of killing men and kissing women. <laughs> uh, she was um, the wife of Lord Forrest Frey, um, which seems to me they talk about um, she was like an old harridan and how she had a sharp tongue. And it seems to me that she was likely a. Um, an ancestor of Walder Frey. It just or it just seems like they they threw that in there as and she would she's, be she's similar to roughly, him a little bit. We can't know exactly, but she would roughly be his great great grandmother, something like yeah, that. Maybe just great grandmother. But if if she's even his yeah, ancestor yeah, at all, but she probably is. Yeah, I, I think so. Just based on their description of her, it seems yeah. like it, like they're yeah referencing her sharp tongue. We also have uh, Sir Joffrey Doggett. The red dog, <laughs> which is funny since, you know, Joffrey has his dog, Sandor. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, there's uh, actually several Joffreys yeah, that come several. up. Yeah, several. It's really, it seems to be a, a name that originates from the Stormlands, but there's certainly other Joffreys around, including yeah. as we, anyone who's read The Princess and the Queen knows there was a Joffrey Valerian mm-hmm. who was basically a Targaryen. Yeah, a lot uh, of Joffreys, though. Yeah, there's, yeah uh, there's several of them. And then there's the Muppet Tullys. Uh, <laughs> the Muppet Tullys. Yeah, yeah we have uh, Elmo. Kermit and Grover. Mm-hmm. And this is this is around the time of the Dance of the Dragons, in fact. Yeah. So, so it's too bad they didn't get uh, a mention in the Princess and the Queen. They may have been edited out of it. They mm-hmm. may have been in there and, and just didn't make That's the final true. cut. Because as we know, that that book or that short story was cut yeah. severely down. So, yeah, severely. Size. Uh, but yeah, I have a friend who particularly loves the Tullys. You know, everyone comes up with this is my house. This is my favorite house. Well, her house is House Tully. Uh, she posted immediately after getting the book saying that that George was turning her favorites into even bigger jokes than they already are. <laughs> and she's like, "Stop it!" And then she got a little further and she saw another Kermit Tully, another you know Muppet <laughs> Tully. She's like, "Ah!" But and then she also said that she likes to picture Elmo Tully talking in the third person. You know, Elmo is fighting for Queen Rhaenyra. <laughs> Stuff like that. The one saving grace there is that all three of these Tullys seem to be 
you know, formidable in their own way. None yeah. of them were jokes. As one far of them as even got a piece were. of art, Elmo. That's true. So, and one of them slew uh, an important <laughs> Baratheon uh, lord. So, you know, that's pretty good. They, they may have goofy names, but their their deeds yeah. were. We're, we're noble yeah. enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we also have a Rhea Stark mm-hmm. in the we'll Stark family tree. look at the back of the Stark. There's a Stark. There's a Stark family tree, a Lannister family tree, and a Targaryen family tree that goes <laughs> back a, a bit. And each of them go back, you know, several generations, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten generations. The Targaryen one is all the way back to Aegon the Conqueror, so it's even more generations. Mm-hmm. But there's a Rhea Stark yeah. who appears, and we know we, we were pretty sure we know yeah. what that's a reference to. Yeah, uh, George's assistant, um, Rhea Golden, who's an amazing artist. Um, really? She has a website. She she did um, the Meat House Man with for George, um, and she's done art. She's been for... Hugo nominated. I don't know if she won. I, I, I didn't check, but she's, uh, she's also done art for the card game. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Rhea Golden. Um, I think that's pretty clearly her. Same spelling. In yeah, the right, here, same so. spelling. That's Rhea probably Stark. not to her. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like as well. Interestingly enough, Rhea is the same letters as Arya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. <But> yeah. <laughs> Just switch that A and R. Or move the back A to the front. It works a lot two different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so we also, have, we also have other names that are maybe hallmarks to their later ancestors or in some cases stand stark contrasts. For example, Savage Sam Tarly yeah. sounds like the exact <laughs> opposite of... Yeah, well, it makes, you, makes you think that's pretty clearly what Randall was naming, or maybe there's another Samuel Tarley named after again, but, like, it would make sense for Randall Tarley to name his son after Savage Sam Tarley. Yeah, a famous who, uh, ancestor, yeah. So, yeah, who, when fighting the Dornishmen, got Heartsbane red, apparently, from uh, tip to hilt. It's probably safe to guess that there have been several Samuel yeah, Tarleys yeah. over the years. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I'm the, the history of Tar- House Tarley goes back a long way, too, so they yeah. have plenty of time. Plenty of Tarleys have been born and died, and, and uh, yeah. only uh, only one there was also the, of has gone off to the wall. <laughs> there was a Samuel Dane, a Samuel Starfire, mm-hmm. uh, which is king. funny because there's, you know, the Reach and Dorne, and yeah. they still have Samuel. <laughs> but, uh, there's some bleeding over of naming there, but we've seen that before. There's a Theon Stark, and obviously there's a Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, um, we have uh, Sathos San. Sathos San is a lot of a, a lot of A's, a lot yeah. of double A's in there, and Sathos yeah, I wonder, San. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The Sathos San Soth is exactly one of the cities in Sarnor. <laughs> yeah, exactly without the oaths. Yeah, but but, but uh, of course the, the Sans are from Lease, so I guess. Uh, it might just be coincidence. Or yeah, coincidence. Some sort it's of just, cultural yeah. overlay that we're not yeah, aware of. Yeah, some language thing that saw. I, I don't know. <laughs> means something. I don't but know. this guy apparently would be up just you know an ancestor of Salador. We're not sure how far back yeah. this would go, but it seems to be from the reference. Without having it right in front of me, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's pretty far back. Yeah. So yeah. the Sons apparently have been a pirate family for <laughs> quite a while, a pirate dynasty. So. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. neat. I like that idea. Yeah, the reach, the reach section was a pretty, particularly good section. I thought I really liked the stuff about. There were the a few children. surprises in there, weren't yeah, there? Yeah, there was some cool stuff. I liked the stuff about um, the children of Garth Greenhand. Mm-hmm. You know, as we knew, he had a lot of children. He had bountiful. Uh, yeah. Bountiful harvest of yeah. children. <laughs> a bumper crop of kids. Yeah. Um, some of my favorites. Um, well, for one, he had a lot of, there was a lot of nice female ancestors for these houses. All of his children, well, not all of his children, but most of his children started these houses um, in the Reach. Um, one of them was uh, Floris the Fox. Uh, which she was just really hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> she she was yeah. referred to as the cleverest of Garth's children, and she kept three husbands. 
each ignorant of the existence of the other. Which is really hard to pull off. <laughs> a man pulling off multiple wives is one thing, but how does a woman she, like, go from... Children. She's pre- exactly. She's pregnant. Like, but, oh, this is yours. No, this is yours. She yeah. tells all three of them that this is yours. Your you know. son is just going to... I'm just going to send him off somewhere. Yeah, he's not going to live here, but... but. <laughs> yeah, but from her son, Sprang House Florent, House Ball, and House Peak, mm-hmm. um, which is so... Those are all very major houses. Yeah. Uh, which, even though some of them have fallen yeah. uh, since then. Very uh, foxy lady there. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, we also had um. Not nothing like Celise Florent, right? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> she's not so foxy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we had Maris, the maid, um, the most fair. Which I had to wonder: is that a reference to Pretty Maris? Uh, it is spelled differently. It's spelled M A versus M E. But Maris, the most fair, and Pretty Maris. Was, I, I can't. It, you know, that's a cruel joke. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's why they call her Pretty Maris as well. Maybe it's even more of a joke than we would think that it's they possibly. know of Maris, the the maid. And Pretty Maris is from Westeros, actually. Yeah, so and this so is certainly possible. It's uh, interesting, but she married Uthor of the High Tower, so Maris the Maid uh, is one of the ancestors of all the High Towers. That's right. We also have Rose of Red Lake, who is apparently a skin changer, yeah. and she is the originator of House Crane. So, are we supposed to believe that she skin changed into a? Crane? Yeah, that's what it says. She skin <laughs> changed into a crane. Cool. So do, I wonder if anyone in House Crane, has, you know, does that. that skin changer, blah, blah, blah. Or they if they probably that's abandoned just, yeah. the worship of the old gods yeah. and lost all that. Yeah, maybe that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, or maybe it could be a case of just that's one of the false cases that she wasn't really a skin changer. Yeah, perhaps. it could just be a tail. And exactly. Tail. There are skin changers, so we take it to be more true. But it yeah, is just, just a tail. Yeah. Um, this one was really funny to me. Uh, Rowan Goldtree, who <laughs> wrapped an apple in her golden hair and planted it. I don't know why she chose. She just chose to do that. Uh, that's a kind of a random thing to do. But yeah, it works. she was doing it because a guy, uh, because a per- uh, the man she was in love with wanted to be with a richer woman, and so it worked. And she grew a golden apple tree, and she originated House Rowan of Golden Grove. But it's just I, I really weird story to and me. And the Rowans are very powerful. They're um, one of the preeminent houses in the region. Do you think they have the, the gold five. tree? <laughs> golden Grove, I, maybe. Well, that might that would explain some of their wealth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could say money doesn't grow on trees. Well, yeah, maybe it grows on this tree. <laughs> okay, that's not yeah. very likely. We also have El- Ellen Eversweet, yeah. who is the originator of House Beesbury and the first known beekeeper in Westeros. So yeah, that's cool. which is cool. Yeah, it is very cool. I'm, I'm fond of House Beesbury because of the Beesbury that was in The Princess and the Queen. Yes, with his was... waspish tone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I like the Beesburys. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, there was also a lot of great men, children, but we just wanted to give a, lot, a little overview. And the women were a little bit funnier tales to me, uh, to be honest. Yeah. The hair and the hair thing. But speak, staying on, uh, this was not intentional, but sticking to women here, we mm. have uh, a cool, really cool note about some later characters. Uh, one example is Visenya, as in the Visenya, Visenya Targaryen, mm. Aegon's elder sister wife, who had a lot more to do with both the conquest and the rule of the realm than we thought. And we already thought she had a lot more to do than was said. Uh, one particularly important thing she did was, it was not just her idea to form the King's Guard, but she had to really push Aegon to accept the idea because he he was a little uh, yeah. <laughs> casual about his own safety. He didn't think it was a real thing to be that worried yeah. about. And and Visenya had a couple, uh, one or two clever ways of showing <laughs> Aegon that, no, you're not as safe as you think you are. <laughs> and uh, you guys will enjoy reading those. Yeah, we well, won't. We won't say much about it. Yeah, it we're not good, trying to give away too many spoilers yeah. here. We, we're, we're we're giving an overview. We're, we're we're mentioning some things you guys might not notice. But some of you guys are, who are listening maybe haven't had a full chance to digest the material. So we're not gonna we're not gonna 
just yeah. reread yeah, what's was, already in the book for you. Yeah, so that was that, actually kind of an interesting discussion we had is what is a spoiler and what's too much of a spoiler. And we, we um, you'll notice by the time we get to the end that we kind of we kind of separated things. We have things more related to the current series that are more more spoilery and as far as we can approximate what a spoiler is um, at the end. Um, so We're, if you care about not about not hearing like the implications of certain of certain bits in those in World of Ice and Fire with regards to current theories, then you just don't want to watch the last segment. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll warn you, you know. when you get to, when, when we get yeah. to it. But yeah, we, we've saved the revelations for the main series, yeah. as in things that pertain to our main characters and main plot lines, rather than just historical fun historical mm-hmm. tidbits. Those we saved for last because there's some there's not a lot, but there are a few very important details, clues slash revelations that affect. Uh, a Song of Ice and Fire proper as a whole in, in an interesting way. So we're going to save that for last. So yeah. just in case anyone doesn't want to hear those things and wants to figure them out on their own, come back and listen to the last part some other time. <laughs> but moving on, how about uh, another great thing we got was anyone who's read The Princess and the Queen and Rogues uh, knows that the story does not end with the end of The Dance of the Dragons. Uh-huh. It ends with the, you know basically the end of Queen Rhaenyra. And that is not nearly the end of the Dance of the Dragons. It continues for quite a while after mm-hmm. that. So the history book wraps that up for us nicely. Not only does it detail the several events that didn't make the book, but it details the completely missing end of the Dance of the Dragons and mm-hmm. the very tumultuous time afterwards. Uh, the, there was a it was a, a bunch of regents that took uh, that had mm-hmm. control for a while. It was like a revolving door of regents and hands, and and uh, King Aegon the Third was a was a really interesting guy. He was a really melancholy, sad kind of guy. And, and that's just a great, really interesting time period. There was also a really nasty winter around then. So there is uh, uh, a lot to say about that. You guys will be very pleased with the, the wrap-up of that and, and not having to wait, you know, mm-hmm. to find out the ending of The Dance of the Dragon some other wow. time. It, it's only a year after The Princess and the Queen came out, we get these answers. Uh-huh. Not, so in, in George R. R. Martin time, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have... A character that appears in The Princess and the Queen appears throughout history again, but you might not realize that he's the same character because he's he, he acquires a nickname, and, and it's, maybe you didn't make this connection. Uh, Alan Oakenfist, who was mentioned several places throughout the world of Ice and Fire because he was really prominent in his era. He was extremely crucial in Daron I's Conquest of Dorne. That's the young dragon. And he also had some important relationships that had an impact on the Targaryen dynasty. This is the same Alan of Hull who tried to tame the dragon Sheepstealer and was later legitimized by the sea snake Corlys Velaryon, who, mm. of course, also has a lot to do with the Princess and the Queen and the events afterwards. He's a major yeah, he's player. Yeah, he's a great character. Just in general, he's really interesting. Traveled the world. Let's, let's, and, yeah, yeah, let's talk about him. Yeah. He, he He's a, a huge part of this book. He's... Uh, almost as important as Lomas Longstrider. Um, I didn't actually do a very good job of explaining who Lomas Longstrider was, That's but true. in case you don't know, he's uh, basically a scribe who traveled the world and just wrote down everything he could about all these incredible places. He he cataloged nine wonders built by mankind and seven natural wonders, mm-hmm. kind of similar to to our world. Yeah, and um, that's one of the things I was doing yeah. with that list was trying to pick out all the wonders of the world, mm-hmm. and, uh, whether natural or not, and see how many of them are actually mentioned. They're not all mentioned, mm-hmm. but. Many of them are. But next to him, pr- probably the most important explorer from Westeros is Corlys Velaryon. He gets his name, the Sea Snake, from one of his ships 
It was named the Sea Snake, and that was where he did his most important voyages. And boy, he went far. Wait, wait. He went really far. Are you telling me that they don't call him that because he sees a lot of snakes? <laughs> I'm telling you that, oh, yes. Wow, that's <laughs> mind-blowing. And what's also cool is that he had a predecessor named Corlys Valerian. Whoa, same name, uh, <laughs> funny that, who was in the first Kingsguard. So mm. uh, I assume he was, that Corlys may have been named for some other great Corlys Valerian before him, mm. but it's possible that this Corlys the Sneak Snake was named for this first Kingsguard member. True. So that's yeah. really neat. Yeah, we um, also got, uh, should we move forward? Uh, yeah. Some long, we got some long awaited details on Aegon V's uh, children and wife. That's Egg, in case you, yeah, uh, egg in case you didn't know. Yeah, Egg from the Duncan Egg. Um, first off, his wife, Betha Blackwood of Blackwood. Um, yeah, how about that? That's my new URL on Tumblr. And, and interestingly, <laughs> Betha Blackwood... Is around is a contemporary of Melantha Blackwood, who is the wife of Willem Stark, who is Ned's great grandfather or grandfather. I forget which. I don't have that in front of me, but it's either yeah. his grandfather or great grandfather. Ned is Stark on both sides of his family, so it gets a bit confusing. Maybe we can look yeah. it up. We get the book right here. Yeah, we do. In any case, uh, there's definitely going to be some more Blackwood theories popping up here and there because the Blackwoods actually appear in a lot of people's tar- family trees. They're in the Targaryen family mm-hmm. tree. There's marriages there. There's Stark. So. There, uh, there's gonna. I, I think we're gonna see a lot more theories about them. Grandmother. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, and those are, and those also happen around the same time. Mm. Uh, not just, um, they aren't just contemporaries relative to each other. They're mm. actually contemporaries in, ter- so, in terms of what time period they. Yeah, were. interesting. Uh, there's so the also Blackwoods been other Blackwood marriages. There's even um, in the Stark family tree. There was a um, Black Alley Blackwood, which is funny because it's Black Betha and Black Alley. That was a much farther back. And that, still, of course, is black to Blackwood. That's, yeah. And, and the Blackwoods are known for having and black hair. black, raven black hair. Raven black, yeah. yeah so that's, that's, yeah, uh, that goes so through. it may and make sense. What's interesting there is that, uh, wait, what was her name? Melantno. Which one? The second one. The, um, black Alley? Black Alley, yeah, of course. Yeah. Black Alley was married to Cregan Stark, mm-hmm. who was Lord of, the, of Winterfell during the Dance of the Dragons. And Cregan also plays a major role in the aftermath of the dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll really enjoy reading the story about that. So... Yeah. But that you, sets up, that's going to set up some serious uh, theories. I'm sure mm-hmm. some of them will be crackpot, but some of them will probably be really cool. And not yeah. even the crackpot ones might be cool. But yeah. I predict, I predict yeah. a lot of Blackwood talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it already has been a lot. Yeah, yeah, Blackwoods are all over it, really. Uh, but um, yeah, we learned about, yeah, Duncan. Um, yeah, of course, he married Jenny of Oldsman. Before, before that, he was betrothed to a daughter of House Baratheon, of mm. Lionel Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this is... Duncan, Lord of Dragonflies. Duncan the Small. <laughs> Duncan the Small, yes. Yeah. And uh, this causes Lionel to, to rebel, and um, Duncan fights There's him. There's a really wonderful piece of art yeah. uh, re- re- dedicated to that, and George in the yeah, 92 Why interview said that it will be the, the, the scene there that you're seeing in that image, when you get the, if you've already got the book and seen it, or if, if you're going to get the book, uh, when you see it. George estimated that that event will happen in roughly the seventh or eighth Duncan Egg story. So I, I'm glad to hear him say that they'll that yeah. he's thinking of writing that many of them. But um, yeah, of course we'll we'll have to be it's a patient while away. This. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since there are three outright. It sounds now, like the Duncan. Clear. It really sounds like the Duncan Egg stories will continue. Will go all through their both their lives yeah. and end with Summerhall because yeah, that's where, be they, so that's what where a, they both uh, die. What a Spoiler. dark ending to such a more lighthearted story yeah. compared to the season. Like, that's dark. Yeah, it is really dark. Uh, every, uh, everyone's dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, everyone uh, dies or somewhere else. Sorry, <laughs> but um, yeah. Though, anyways, uh, to keep the peace, uh, Egg, 
agrees to marry Rael to Lionel's heir. So that's how Rael, his daughter, um, married into Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, that's Stannis' grandmother. Yeah. Um, and Robert's yeah. grandmother, Renly's yeah. Um But yeah, interestingly, uh, Jaehaerys, uh, he was betrothed to Celia Tully. And Shara to Luther Tyrell, which, you know, um, Betha Blackwood and Aegon were trying to, you know, have ties all over the realm to keep the realm united. Um, and they had all these great political ambitions, but their, their children just didn't listen to them. And Jaehaerys and Shara married each other. Instead, they were in love with each other and they married each other at 14 and 15. So, uh... They, you know, slighted two more big houses, like the Brathians were slighted, the Tullys, the Tyrells, which is, yeah. Uh, and then um, the other son, Daron, was betrothed to Elena, which uh, was a big mystery for a long time. Yeah, and she says, remember, she says yeah. that she put a stop to that, but yeah. it doesn't sound like that's the case. It sounds like he did, but to me, I get the impression because, it, 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 you know, Daron was gay. Um, he had a lover, Sir Jeremy Norridge. Um, that he met at Highgarden when he, was, when he was a squire there. But I got the impression that maybe it was more of a not Daron, you know, saying no to the match, but more of an, oh, maybe Olena and Daron agreeing, let's not let's not do this. And so it could, she couldn't, maybe she wasn't just sa- saving face there. It's it possible. It could have been a little more like I feel that. like no matter what, Daron wasn't going to marry her, and she didn't, it, there yeah. was no, it's not a mutual decision uh, yeah. if one person is just dead set against well, her. Well, I, I, we don't know that no matter what, Daron wasn't going to marry her. Maybe, like, they both agreed, if we just say we're not going to marry if if you just say you're not going to marry me then they won't make you marry me i don't want to marry you you don't want to marry me let's not do it they were the same age and he was a squire at high garden and so maybe they had had some contact and they were able to say it so in any case it certainly doesn't appear to have been it doesn't appear to have just been her saying no (laughs) it's not like she just cowed him and said you will say you will not marry me that's well what's interesting is there's a parallel here to her own grandson because this daron is a lot like sir loris he was a one of the finest knights of his era and you know but also, you know, but also, uh, you know, not interested in women at all. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess she's got experience with that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but of course, Luther was uh, slighted, and Elena was slighted, and they ended up marrying each other. Yeah, they were both uh, Targaryen rejects. <laughs> oh, I have to say, it's interesting that Daron was betrothed to Elena Redwine when they go. They go for Tyrell, Tully, Baratheon, Redwine. Well, I'm thinking by then the Redwines had had yeah. maybe really risen to power uh, as the, the they wanted they some, certainly of that, weren't, some of that wine. They, they certainly weren't huge long time back in the day, but they are huge now. Notice mm-hmm. how important their fleet and their yeah. allegiance is to the War of the Five Kings and to the story going forward. So at some point they got to this point of being well uh, wealthy and, and prominent, yeah. and it could be that. Well, this certainly had to have happened before this marriage was was uh, considered possibility. The Red Wine Fleet is is really really yeah. important. It's the, it's the biggest or second biggest navy in all of Westeros these days. Wasn't always the case for the longest time. The Valerians had the biggest yeah. fleet in Westeros. In fact, the Valerians were wealthier than the Lannisters for a little mm-hmm. while. How about that? Yeah. That's uh, so crazy. power really—that's uh, one thing we learned a lot is that you you see these houses that have been in power for so long, and you think, well, a lot of this has been static. You know, this, these houses have always been strong. These houses have always not. Well, that's not really the case. A lot of these houses have gotten powerful and then vanished, or they've gotten powerful and become small. When they started off small, they were small for thousands of years, and they got big at some point. Just one event, one great leader, one yeah. set of circumstances, being on the right side of a war, getting the right merit, anything. There's all these yeah. different things have happened, you know, maybe finding, a, you know, getting your own Valyrian steel blade or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. having a famous answer, all these different things that can happen. And, and really, uh, we pretty much there's examples of all these different things I've just named in, throughout this book. 
Um, so yeah, those are just some of our immediate tidbits. Um, we're going to get into um, a little more of that, but I also wanted to talk about... Um, yeah, we, a couple of minor things, a couple of criticisms. Yeah, we wanted to talk about book. a couple of criticisms. Now, um, we, to be very clear, we love this book. Yeah. <laughs> before yeah. we, before we yeah. start criticizing anything. Yeah. But we're also detail hounds, and when yeah. we notice something, we're not going to just not point it out. And yeah, as we're going to talk a little bit later, stuff was cut. Yeah, there's some things and that were cut, but that, so, yes, yeah, that, that's, uh, but uh, first of all... Anyways, um, I was most disappointed. I was most excited for it, to be clear. I was most excited for the stuff on Dorne. Um, I, Elio and Linda have said that Dorne was their favorite region. Um, I expected it to be very good. When I when I talked to George at Con Con Carolinas and I asked him about the unnamed Princess of Dorne, he said he didn't think there was any mention of her. Maybe there was, but that there were many interesting Martell women in the book. And I have to say, many? Really? Mm, many? Really. <laughs> so there's two new Martell women. Like, I counted. There's two new Martells that we had never heard of. Daria, who's Maria's granddaughter, and Eleandra Martell, who is uh, Prince Corin's daughter. And there's, like, two new, two or three new males. So that's not many, yeah. I wouldn't say, by any It wasn't biased towards word. one or the other. It just wasn't very thorough. Yeah. And so I personally felt that Dorne was the weakest of the sections. Um... It is my favorite region, though, so I think I would have just been dissatisfied regardless. <laughs> You're going to want more no matter what. <laughs> but I, I don't think my dissatisfaction is unwarranted. I, I, a lot well, you of were the, t- yeah, you were told some things, and that's yeah, all Yeah, I was happened, expecting so. there to be a lot of Martell women. I was hoping we would at least get the name of the unnamed Princess of Dorne. That's Dorne, Oberyn, and Elia's mother, because I don't want to keep calling her the unnamed Princess of Dorne. Yeah, that's kind of It's awkward, confusing, right? <laughs> and it's awkward and long, and I just want her to have a name. She's important. She taught Dorne and, and, and her children a lot of important things. Yeah. Um, but uh, silver lining of that, there was a lot about Nymeria. Lot um, that of, so that's a, great. There was more on the, the Nymeria and the fleeing from the destruction of uh, the Roinar and mm-hmm. uh, their wanderings before quite a bit on that. There was more yeah. than we expected there. So that was that was very cool. Yeah, there was that. Um, certainly, like we uh, things were cut from the book, so maybe things were just more things were just cut from the Dorne section, and maybe they just had more cut than the other sections, and George wasn't lying to me when he said there were many Martell women listed. They are the last region listed. Maybe they just got the brunt of some of that. He may have written a lot of yeah, stuff, he may have and written it just a didn't lot. make the book. He just wasn't in there. Yeah. Like, like, so yeah, so we're not going to assume he was So hopefully there are a lot <laughs> of that, but uh, a lot of the Dorne section is about the conquest of Dorne, and so it's really tied into the Targaryens. Just a lot of the Dorne history is tied into the Tar- Targaryens, so it's not really much about Dorne and the Martells, which I think is why it felt so uh, short to me, because I did a comparison of the various Wester of the various uh, Westerosi regions. Um, I wanted to see which are the longest. Like, is my, are my impressions right or wrong? Um, I didn't do a word count of the ebook or anything like that because that just copying it just that wasn't worth the time. Um, I just did a rough estimation on the hard copy. Discounting full pages and, you know, when there's like a half page, I just combine pages. Um, so this is very rough. Um, I'm going to go from least to most on how long the actual, re- you know, regions of Westeros were. Um, the north was only around eight pages unless you count Beyond the Wall, which I didn't. Um, so that's the shortest of all of them was on the north. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vale was only around eight and a half. Um, the Riverlands and the Stormlands were both around nine. So they're in the middling. Um, the Westerlands was around 10, pretty good. Dorne was around 11, so it, it wasn't nearly the shortest, um, though I still think a lot of it was about the Targaryens, so maybe maybe I would count a little less about Dorne itself. The Reach had 12, and the Iron Islands had 16. 
16 pages. Maybe that's making up for them being cut from season five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we already knew they were going to be cut from season yeah. five. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, impressive. <laughs> a lot of Iron Island stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. and of course, the book has a ton of Targaryen stuff on it. Yeah. We didn't, we couldn't count the pages because they're just, there's so many. Mm-hmm. And they're in different sections. But that's, that's to be fair, that... You know, this is certainly not a complaint. I love Targaryen stuff. Yeah. Uh, the book isn't focused on them, but there is more on them than any of the other regions, and that's that's fair in a, yeah. in a lot of sense because they ruled Westeros for almost 300 yeah. years, and that is the bulk of the mm-hmm. accurate history we have is the most recent yeah. history. That just makes it's sense. True. It's like we know more about oh. the last 20 years of that's happened in America than we do yeah. in the first 20 years, even though we have pretty good records of that stuff. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. You know, more yeah. recent fair, history is just more accessible. Having- to be fair, we are having fire and blood come out eventually. There'll be even more Targaryen stuff. Yep. But uh, a lot of that's already written. That's part yeah. of why. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. So as we said a few times, there were things cut, and so when we attended the Westerlands reading um, at Con Carolinas, we took vigorous notes, which you can find on our website. And um, one of my friends, um, Lauren uh, Joanna Lannister on Tumblr, she obviously loves the Lannister stuff, and immediately upon getting the book, she was like, "This is just different." There's just things missing from this book. And she compared it to our notes. And, yeah, it's just cut down. You can see how it was cut down, which is interesting to see how they cut things down, what was cut down, um, just I've, things like lines. Just I've, someone... uh, I've tweeted the link that shows the comparisons as well yeah. as posted it on our forums. So go yeah, to... we're not going to get into depth, in, in, very in-depth. When we talk about the Westerlands more, we'll talk about it more. But, yeah, just there's just some stuff like they talk about, just a few examples, they talk about... In our notes, we have that Jason Lannister impregnated a serving girl, and then he impregnated a, a girl from House Daxpear, and it was died in childbirth. None of that is in there, but in the family tree, you see that Jason Lannister had Lynora Hill. So, so what we believe is yeah. what happened is George read from his what he wrote for the history yeah. of the Westerlands, not what is in this final copy. So if you're looking, once you finish the book, if you haven't already... <laughs> Check out what we our notes and these yeah. comparisons because it's a little additional information. It's George wrote it, yeah. so it's it's, it's you know it's yeah. probably canon. It's, yeah, you know, I mean certainly we got some things wrong. A couple but, of uh, things were errors, but yes. you can see. But yeah, you can just see there's just whole paragraphs yeah. that we have in our notes that just weren't out, weren't in there, and you, a lot of it makes sense that they would cut that down. Yeah. Some of it makes you wonder why they cut it, but usually it's probably just for space. Pro- certainly, I don't think most of it was cut for anything spoilery or anything like that. I think it was just space, but, um, but interesting. F- Following following this thread, though, if stuff was cut from the Westerland section, then mm-hmm. probably stuff was cut from pretty much everywhere. We know and, stuff was cut from the Targaryen section. Yeah. And so that's why I, Dorne probably stuff cut. Probably his personal section has a lot of nice stuff. And so any readings that George has from this stuff, we need to be taking really good notes on. Even though the book is out, everyone needs to yeah, be, take notes. Be wary. They're, if but, George reads from one of these sections at a con... Now, I feel like he's probably going to go yeah, back to reading Winds of War chapters at cons when he does this. But if he does happen to read from Fire and Blood, Fire and or, Blood or something or like just, that. Or just history notes. He doesn't have just history notes that he has. Don't assume he's just going to read exactly what's in the World of Ice and Fire. Yeah. He's got more out there. And we're hoping that that material gets published someday. I yeah, can't imagine I, it won't. Uh, yeah, my big question <laughs> that I had was that my impression of Fire and Blood is that it's mostly focused on the Targaryens. I mean, the title is Fire and Blood, that it's a chronicle of Targaryen kings. Yes. So some of this information that is caught, I, 
just don't see how it will fit into fire and blood unless it's not what I'm ma- imagining. And I like the idea that he could just do uh, a different book for each each region, <laughs> and he could get a lot of money out of every one of us. I yeah. would easily I would easily purchase every one. They could be a short book with just that stuff. They could each be named after Un- their yeah, household. Yeah, Unbound, Unbroken. I would mm. buy that in a second. Yeah. You know, hear me roar. That would just have the unabridged version of the Lannister stuff. That we'll would buy be great. We buy them all. Podcast about them all. Yeah, I would. I would not. Sleep with them under our pillows. But uh, so hopefully, or maybe hopefully, my impression of fire and blood is wrong because when it was called the Gramillion, when they were just referring to it as that, I had the impression of it just being about everything. But that would be an awful lot. And now they're going by fire and blood. We might also just be might be wrong about how much extra material there is for these other ones. Like there was certainly a lot cut from the Targaryen stuff, and that's why there's fire and blood is going to happen. But and we've seen how much is cut from the Westland stuff. Yeah. It wasn't that much. It was a it good that chunk. Much, but we didn't. But to be fair, we didn't see all of the. We didn't read all the Westland stuff for us. But a That's lot of true. it. That is very but, true. So maybe more was cut from the later half. But, you but know. that might just be that might be a sign that there's just way more unreleased Targaryen material than anything else. But still, yeah. we want it all. We want yeah, we want it all. If, yeah, if there's like <laughs> one paragraph in each region that was cut total, I want those paragraphs. Yes, give it up. So we'll bring it here. Uh, yeah, that is <laughs> gimme. Yeah. When it comes to Westeros history, <laughs> we're greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Greedy like, but yeah, there was some other um, back into like more region specific things. Yeah, since we just resource maps. since we just covered the the different regions, well, we we also took note of some very high level topics. There's there's maps for each region that are kind of cool, stylized maps that actually have like yeah. little resource tidbits, uh, like you know, there's yeah. lumber here and there's gold and silver here. Yeah, some have more than others. Pretty basic, but there, yeah, some have more than others for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it gives you an idea of the you know a little more information on what the realms are like as far as the geography and. Yeah, what they're like. Yeah. Uh, we know what yeah, their people are like pretty well, but the actual regions themselves, it's, it's a little less. Uh, we're not quite as knowledgeable <laughs> about that. Yeah, we got some nice stuff on like on like Skagos yeah. and the mountain clans. Um, pretty much what we are uh, nothing we really would want to change in our episode that I could think of. No, not really. The, stuff we would it, add, it's, but it's, it's, it's pretty much in line with what we thought. Exactly, especially um, because the maesters are poo-poo all the magic stuff. <laughs> you know, they don't. They just uh, the maesters the, didn't like the idea of. This maester, anyway, right. didn't like the idea of unicorns and skagos, uh-huh. even though there's all these accounts of them, and we've seen the one-headed, the horned goat through Shaggy Dog's eyes. Yeah. But he does make the point that, well, we don't have a skeleton. Yeah. So that's a pretty good, I mean, his case is, that's that's a good reason to object to that, but we as readers know better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and really cool, yeah, there's stuff about the Mountain Clans, the Kranich Men, the Night's Watch, the Wildlings, but yeah, like, a lot of it is overview stuff that we kind of know already, but some, yeah. and it's kind of interesting to see that they're just, they just don't, the, the Maester's knowledge is kind of incomplete when you get that far north. They're, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe Maester Aemon is sending them stuff, and they're yeah. just not there's taking, a cool story about um, <laughs> the Maester's uh, working with the Children of the Forest, you know, with the, yeah. having a the trading post or whatever that the was. Maesters are have been around a long time. Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> um, that we also have uh, a good bit on Heron the Black um, mm-hmm. and Heron Hall itself. Uh, Heron versus the Riverlands, opposite Heron's descendants. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a really cool story. You guys mm-hmm. will like that. Yeah. And then all the kings of the Riverlands, that's part of that all because ex- he extinct basically houses. destroyed them. Yeah, there's a lot of extinct houses in the Riverlands. It makes sense. We've we've talked plenty of times in our Riverlands series and elsewhere about how war-torn the Riverlands is. Well, that's, mm-hmm. how, it's, that's how it's always been. So you would think that uh, a place worth the most war would have the mm-hmm. most number of houses going extinct. That's mm-hmm. just a higher likelihood when you have all that killing going on. Yeah. 
Really cool story about the Klansmen of the Vale. Mm-hmm. They're, of course, descendants of the first men from the Vale who held out from all the Andal invasions. Of course, the Vale is where the Andals first came and first kind of established themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, really cool tidbit there. You guys remember Nettles from The Princess and mm-hmm. the Queen? Well, the Painted Dogs, I believe they were, an offshoot of the, pl- the clan, the Painted Dogs, are where the Burned Men came from. And the Burned Men... Uh, date back to having met Nettles and Sheepstealer mm. in the Vale. When she, Nettles disappeared, she went to the Vale and established herself in <laughs> the mountains, I guess. And these, they referred to her as a fire witch and <laughs> she had a dragon and all this. So I guess that they gave her gifts and tribute and stuff. And so I guess she kind of had a little mini... She set herself up as a little goddess. Yeah, she had a little, <laughs> yeah. Why be a king when you can be a goddess? Or yeah. a queen when you can be a goddess? So <laughs> that is a really cool little tidbit. Yeah. If that if that missed you, then that uh, I'm sure you'll find that cool. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot about the construction of the Erie. That's a long tale that's uh, interesting and... and um, there's a lot of cool little detail there that we mm-hmm. might, maybe didn't expect. Yeah, like we said, there's a lot of Ironborn stuff. Sixteen yes. pages of it. It's really twenty pages, but if you don't, if you count the art. Yeah, there's some cool art there. There's lots yeah, of about kings lots moods, of about the great king. His the religious, yeah, the great king. That's right. There, there's like religious struggles the in there, Moore. and and there's a, there's been several attempts to try and civilize the Ironborn and to turn them away mm-hmm. from their the old way, and it yeah. always just keeps coming back. Yeah, there's that <laughs> stuff about yeah about uh, about Harmon the Handsome, which, mm-hmm. which and is then, cool. We'll and, talk a little bit about. And Quellon Greyjoy's father, Balon, was was very progressive. He tried to enthrall him, <laughs> and he was very oh. peaceful. And, <laughs> but he was also a badass, which is part of why he was able to keep the Ironborn in line, because mm-hmm. he was an uh, effective leader. And there's also the Red Kraken, who was mentioned very briefly in The Princess and the Queen. Well, if you were disappointed that the Red Kraken didn't appear more in The Princess and the Queen... There is way more than I would have expected in this book <laughs> about him. It's like a, maybe two full pages of the 16 yeah. are just about him. So. Yeah. You'll you'll enjoy reading about him. He's a very cool character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we have that stuff about uh, Tytos Lannister's reign. Um, Quite a bit about Tytos and yeah. his era. Yeah, of, uh, which, Tywin uh, is a big part of this book. Yeah, like I said, like we said, you'll want to look at the comparisons post um, to see. There's some more stuff about Tytos's reign and about Ellen uh, Ellen reign. That's mm-hmm. I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like we said, also Rains Garth Greenham. The, the stuff about Garth Greenham and his children that was particularly cool but um, also just the legends around him are really neat and he yeah. had apparently the original throne at high garden was called the oaken seat and it was <laughs> a living throne <laughs> unfortunately it was uh, destroyed mm. so it's no longer a living throne <laughs> but uh, that sounds really neat i like that idea that they had a throne carved out of a tree that was still alive and uh, I don't know, that just seems cool to me. Mm-hmm. And then there's plenty of stuff about Old Town. Old Town is so old, and there's a lot of stories about Old Town and the High Tower. Um, that's really cool. The Citadel, of course, has there's some ancient history about the Citadel, and there's a place called Battle Isle, which is where High Tower is, and how nobody knows why it's called Battle Isle. It's always just been called that. Well, what what <laughs> battle was fought there? <laughs> Maybe the War for the Dawn, the last some sort of last battle kind of deal. <laughs> uh, your uh, guess is as good as ours. Yeah. <laughs> we have we don't really know. Yeah. Um, in the Stormlands, there's a lot of there's some talk about the Rainwood that we weren't aware of. The, the children oh, yeah. of the forest were a really major force there. That was one of their last kind of hide, hideouts. Uh, hidey holes. Hidey holes. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Rainwood, yeah, the, so the Rainwood is really interesting. Uh, Rainy's uh, Targaryen kind of burned it at mm. one point, a lot of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Storm's End, there's some new theories about Storm's End and, and the, the, mm-hmm. the, the fact that it was rebuilt seven times. There's some theories about how maybe some of these buildings weren't uh, were a lot more recent than people say based on architecture other uh, details like that 
Yeah, there was uh, some stuff about, you know, the settlement of Dragonstone. Um, There's also an interesting uh, quote, too, um, in the book where it was uh, about... uh, Septon Barth's claims that the Valyrians came to Westeros because their priests prophesied the doom of man would come out of the land beyond the narrow sea. And this maester dismisses that yeah. basically out of hand. Yeah. But the doom of man yeah. coming out of Westeros, huh? Sounds yeah. like the others, right? Yeah. Doesn't that just sound like so? This is one of the reasons we trust Septon Barth on yeah. most of it because like, all these times he's said, oh, we don't trust what he's saying. And yeah. then we look, and we, if you do the digging, you find out, oh, he was right about that too. Mm-hmm. And when you we keep looking at the list and you see that he was right about pretty much everything, well, uh-huh. it's time to listen to the guy <laughs> if you weren't already. So yeah. pay attention when you see the name Septon Barth. You, sh- you should, your, your, uh, your theory, uh, your, your, all your conspiracy theories and, and ideas should be at full swing when you see that guy's name mentioned. Uh-huh. Because this is, this is good data there. Uh-huh. Of course, there's plenty about the conquest. The conquest, mm-hmm. the Aegon's conquest of Westeros is very well detailed. Yeah. As well as the time yeah. after his death. Both in the Targaryen section. The sections Sons of the Dragon era that, that we have been putting a lot of work into yeah. preparing episodes on that. Uh, all the way up till the Peace of the Old King. And you really find some interesting things about how recent some of the things are. Like, Jaehaerys is the guy who built the King's Road. We knew that. But oh, yeah. he built a lot of the other roads, too. Mm-hmm. Not just the King's Road. So he had a lot to do with that. And he also, you know, he codified the laws. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of big things he did. Lots of time, in general, spent to pretty much each Targaryen king. They, yeah, pretty much yeah. Each one has at least one page. At least one page, yeah. Uh, several have, them more, have more than that, given how important yeah. their eras were or... A lot of them pop up in multiple places. And, and again, just like the art in the index, uh, just like the art index, rather, their art appendix, I guess I should call it, there yeah. is a regular appendix of characters. You can look up in the yeah. back and see Rhaegar Targaryen. It tells you every page Rhaegar Targaryen appears on. It's yeah. quite a few, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Valyria and the Valyrians. You know. That's right. So Of course, nothing will beat just a search in the book, but yeah. with a <laughs> little... But, you know... So there's, of course, uh, there's also a lot about the Blackfire Rebellions, which is something that we are going to be doing episodes on. And when, when I put, when I asked you guys mm-hmm. to tell us which topics you're most interested in, that was one of the more to- popular uh-huh. responses yeah. we got. Was the yeah, Blackfire Rebellions? Maybe Jeff Rebellions. wants to do stuff on the Blackfire Rebellion sometime. There is a yeah, Some I'm sure he would. That. <laughs> uh, one one slightly frustrating thing was that Maester makes mention of the third Blackfire Rebellion. Says I uh, mentions all these things. Make a short paragraph about all these things that oh, we already yeah. know a lot about. I'm like, no, we don't know anything yeah. about these things. So the third Blackfire Rebellion, there isn't very much about. But whenever, here's a, here's a tip. When you read the book and you see something that says, we already know about this, so we're not going to talk about it. When the maester says that, it's a good chance that is going to be a future story. I am mm. 100% positive that this third Blackfire Rebellion isn't being talked about it, isn't being talked about because it will be featured heavily in a Duncan Egg story. Yeah. The third Blackfire Rebellion happened in 219 AC, and the Mystery Knight happened in 212. We're not that far away from it. And one of those little tidbits that the maester mentioned when just glossing oh, over yeah. the third Blackfire Rebellion was the valor of Makar's youngest son. <laughs> the Makar's youngest yeah. son is Egg. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we know he played we'll a major role in this. So yeah. Also, we're going to know that Arian Brightflame and, and uh, Duncan the Tall, of course, are going to play a part in uh, mm-hmm. Bloodraven. So... Ooh, that's gonna yeah. be a good one. That's gonna be a really good. One. Some really some of the m- most important mm-hmm. characters from fairly recent history will all appear in there. Yeah, we also learned a little bit about their marriages. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, they married. Yeah. Um, was, uh, I forget who married who. I know Makar married Deanna Dane, a Dane. Mm-hmm. A Dane, um, yeah. And the other two, I can't remember which one married which, but one, one Aaron, I think, married Alice Aaron, and then 
uh, Daron married Jen and Dundarian, or backwards, I'm not sure which, I guess I could look. But, um, yeah, it's interesting, a Dundarian and a Dane and an Aaron. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. All in the Targaryen tree there. Yeah. And, of course, the Aaron have, Aaron's had already married into the Targaryen. Yeah, so that far, one is le- the least surprising. Cool. It was most surprising for a Dondarian yeah. and Dane to have married in. Um, and that all, that, that, you know, Makar married the Dane, so... Oh, the Targaryens are and descended from the Danes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that that, that 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 seems to make sense because of the way they look. Like if yeah. you're trying to restore the, the the Valyrian look to the Targaryens, it was starting to get a little Dornish. Yeah, yeah, you might. <laughs> the only house in in Westeros, you yeah. could certainly go to Lease or somewhere yeah, across yeah. the Nearest Sea and find that Valyrian look to try and. Yeah, so you know, create babies that look like that. Yeah, so maybe this Diana had the more Valyrian looking look with the silver hair, purple eyes, or maybe she just had purple eyes. Maybe she didn't maybe look like either. Because the Danes really aren't that big of a house. I mean, yeah. they're really popular. They're one of the most yeah. famous houses in the fandom, and we did yeah. get some good information on them. As usual, we want yeah, more. Because but they have we the got some good in the morning, so there's going to be stuff. Those are people that are going to, you know, stand out, uh, you know, in history. But they have pretty much no political sway. They're not. They're not mentioned pretty much ever in modern times as doing anything important as far as, you know, mm-hmm. affecting policy decisions yeah. or making. You know, we, we don't really well, hear about them doing a whole lot. So Nymeria married a da- took as a consort her third, a her third husband, I guess, right? Sir, the dashing Sir Davos Dane. Davos Dane. Yeah, it was oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> another, another Davos. Davos is but, apparently a bigger name than we would have thought. There's a couple of yeah. big Davoses, so. Yeah, That's cool. Interesting. But also, you know, getting back to the, the Blackfire Rebellion stuff, there's a lot on Blood Raven. There's a few surprises there. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. on Bittersteel. Some also surprises there. Very cool stuff, and a lot about their families. We we get a really good, not entirely complete, but mostly complete reckoning of Damon's sons. And there's enough information there to deduce some more uh, about who, which other Blackfires came from where, like Maelys and. And there's even this really crazy incident with Aenys Blackfire uh, that you guys yeah. should just read for yourself. Yeah, if, you haven't, if you've already read yeah. it, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to spoil that. It's really yeah. cool. But uh, Blood Raven, whew, that guy, what a piece of work. Mm-hmm. We're going to definitely do yeah. a, we've, we've been talking about doing a Blood Raven episode for a while, yeah. and there's just no way around that. Yeah, now. Blood Raven was painted <laughs> really favorably in this, I thought. Yeah, um, he is. That's true. Yeah, he was. He was, uh, he was specifically... Uh, Oh, I was trying to get to my notes. Well, he's under. mentioned, he, if you remember... Oh, the, yeah, they, they said that he had sacrificed his own personal honor for the good of the realm. That's right. In other just, words, he just, was uh, yeah. he was willing to be the bad guy to make good things happen. That's this maester's judgment. Which is interesting because nowadays, um, when people talk about Bloodraven, or like in his own time, he was really maligned. Yeah. Um, uh, even though he was... But yeah, clearly, maester, a lot of people thought he was effective. But yeah, like this he, maester seems to think that he's just... Yeah, I seem to discuss him not not negatively. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, uh, we also get very precise dates for him going to the Night's Watch mm-hmm. and going and getting lost and becoming North Lord Commander. So wow. that is very cool. Um, we also get uh, very speaking of Blood Raven and Bittersteel, the Great Bastards. We get all the mistresses of Aegon the Fourth in yeah. detail and pictures of them. Which is some of the be- some of Magali's best work, I thought. Um, yeah. I liked I liked the mis- the mistresses pieces. And there are a few surprises in there too. Yeah. Um, and there's some deductions that can be made from relationships that Aegon the Fourth had with women who had their own children. So it casts doubt mm-hmm. on the parentage. There could be Targaryen blood in a couple of other houses, although for the most part, those houses aren't really around anymore. <laughs> So, there's also, as we said, there's a lot on Tywin, but in, in particular, it's Tywin and Ares together, because, of course, those two were, their stories are intertwined uh, for most of their lives, and that relationship is given a lot of uh, 
you know, screen time, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really cool. There's also a lot of detail on the Defiance of Duskendale. We get some detail on Sir Barristan in there. And that's all really good stuff. And there's quite a bit about Rhaegar as well. Um, we're going to talk about Rhaegar in a couple places here, but there's a lot of stuff about Rhaegar and his relationship with Ares himself, his own father. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a few surprises there as well. Uh, not just surprises, but just flat out things we just didn't know that really add to the picture. So that in itself is a great reason to pick up this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's also a good amount on Robert's Rebellion. Maybe not quite as much as we would have wanted. I kind of wanted more mm-hmm. detail on the Rebellion. I was hoping for more than that, but... What we do get is quite solid, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm at least happy with that. But there's there's a good bit that's just kind of rehashed. When he was writing it, he was like, Robert doesn't need me to tell him about the rebellion. <laughs> that's a good point. The, the book is originally presented yeah. to Robert Baratheon. It's supposed to be presented to Robert Baratheon, but then it's is erased. <laughs> and instead it's written Joffrey. And then that's erased, and it says Tommen. <laughs> what would be really cool is if by the end of the series, this maester... Maester Yandel, who wrote the book, what if he were to appear in the books and present this book to, say, King Aegon VI or Daenerys? (laughs) So he scratched out that name and wrote this person. (laughs) So we could see that happening. That'd be really cool. Or he'll come up. Maybe he finished it in time to give it to Tommen. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Tommen doesn't deserve that. Uh Uh, Tommen at least wouldn't hack it in half like Joffrey. Yeah, definitely. He would just be like, I don't care. Um, yeah. So there's also, uh, as Ashea mentioned yeah. earlier, there's a lot on the, the unexplained and the wonders of the world and the Far East and all these mm-hmm. other things. There's some questions on magical events in the past. Yeah, all like, of which, all of this stuff you got to take with even more of a grain of salt. Like, how would the maester know all this stuff about it? Right. You well, know, in some cases, they're referring to others, other maesters. Yeah. And in some but, cases, he's just yeah. It's just, when it's in these far off regions, you just you you have to take all of it with you. You can't believe all of it very much at all. Definitely, because like yeah. a quote we get from Ashai asks questions about Castle Rock that make no sense. Yeah. Like, do they really live in a castle of gold? So if the if people in Ashai think that Castle Rock is made of gold, yeah. then the stories people hear about Ashai and Castle Rock are going to probably be about as silly. So yeah. we have to kind of distill them a bit. But still, the the fully inflated mm-hmm. mythical versions are really cool, too. So we don't want to just uh, ignore those details because the truth can be found within those kernels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for instance, um, we have the the breaking of the world, you know, yeah, the stepstones, the... um, which are said by, you know, is our understanding to be the children of the forest having done that, having uh, split Westeros off, whereas the maesters um, postulate that it was... It was just, you know... Uh, Seismic activity. Yeah, That's what we call it in modern times. Yeah. It was just, you know, the plate shifted and yeah. it was a natural event. The part of the stepstones went underwater and uh, that's yeah. what happened. And you can, you know, for a superstitious magic-having culture, that to, putting that on the, the children who have all this power over nature, it kind of makes sense in a way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there's a regular explanation that might... Uh, yeah, sense. and I don't know which one I think, you know, the maester, I, I, I'm inclined to not listen to the maesters a lot, um, because I know they have this bias, but I'm also inclined to just, you know, that's a real thing, that makes sense to me, the children of the forest didn't do that many, like, crazy magical things, like, maybe they're just attributing it to them, yeah, like, that would be, like, the crazy, the, the most, one of the most powerful things they did, along with the neck, and so I I, 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 I think I maybe lean towards it not having just been like a child, you know, them like breaking it off. Yeah. But I, maybe this is the case of the maester just influencing me with their anti-magic <laughs> <laughs> sentiment. But, so now yeah. there's now uh, one of our favorite mysteries yeah. is this pervasive talk throughout many mm-hmm. different regions and places 
and times even about this oily, greasy, black stone. It's mm-hmm. described in both ways in different yeah. places, and we're thinking it's probably the same. Yeah, it's found in a multitude of places. It's yeah. found from the sea stone chair to a shy, to possibly the high tower's fortress that it resides upon, to Yiti, to the Basilisk Isles, to the city of Yin in Sothorios. Yeah, and this... In some cases, there's the stone is described a little differently, and so some yeah. of these examples may not fit in this little sphere. Yeah. But this oily black stone, nobody knows where it came from. Mm-mm. It doesn't. It doesn't match anything any of the measures can find anywhere else. Mm-mm. And just like the the initial base of the high tower before it was a tower, it was just a fort. Nobody knows who built that. And nobody knows who built the sea stone chair. How crazy mm-hmm. is that? The sea stone yeah. chair just this this ornate carved you know, throne that has just kind of always been there. And so that has led to a lot of interesting theories about the origin of the Ironborn and uh, as well as people maybe thinking that there is some people across across the Sunset Sea there, far to the west of Westeros, past the Iron Island, well past the Iron Islands and all that, and maybe that this came from there, maybe it came from some long-forgotten civilization, you know, aliens it could be, (laughs) you know, we always got to throw aliens out there. But (laughs) there's also an important tie-in from another literature here, and that is uh, H.P. Lovecraft's um, writings are really they're just all over the place mm-hmm. george is clearly heavily influenced by hp lovecraft there are a ton of hp lovecraft references this oily blackstone this is an hp mm-hmm. lovecraft reference mm-hmm. as are some of these things that the ironborn believe about their origins yeah. they believe that they may have bred with <laughs> some sort of fish people yeah. hybrid the fish ones, people the, they called? the deep ones deep ones deep ones and the course. deep ones that the term deep ones is straight from yeah. lovecraft uh, and they did the same thing. They bred with humans, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, eventually these people would want to return to the sea, <laughs> which is kind of what the Ironborn do in a sense. When they die, they want to return to the sea. That's what's important to them. So it's it's not he's obviously not copying this, but it's heavily influenced by it, and uh, but with his own wonderful spin, uh, mm-hmm. putting it into his fantasy world. So it's really cool. Uh, if you're an H.P. Lovecraft fan, you're going to catch a lot of these references yourself. If you're not, well, maybe I'm tempting you to buy some of these things and check them out. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft is a great writer. He wasn't a great guy, but he was a great <laughs> writer. <laughs> Um, um, so the High Tower's fortress, um, it's described as just black stone, and there are other things described as just black stone that we discounted when making this list, um, and we would have been inclined to do that for the High Tower, um, the fortress, not the High Tower itself, obviously. Um, but Maester Theron notes a similarity between the Sea Stone Chair, um, and the High Tower's fortress, and the Sea Stone Chair is described as oily black stone, and if he saw it himself, maybe it is just oily and it was never described as such. Um, so that one's, uh, we don't know if that is the oily, greasy black stone, or just black stone, um, because the Valyrian citadels, the Valyrians had this fused black stone that they used, which I think is pretty clearly different from the oily black stone. It's never described as oily. Yeah. Um, so possibly they, they theorized that it was just that. Um, and the Five Forts um, is also described as having black stone. The Five um, Forts are about as far east as the map goes. Yeah. It's at the edge of E.T. and it was apparently... Originally, they were designed, who knows why. The, the, oh. the, the history of E.T. goes back so far. Yeah. But a, a one legend says they were raised by the Pearl Emperor. The E.T. Mm-hmm. emperors have are all named after gemstones. <laughs> and this was supposed to keep the, the Lion of Night at bay. The Lion of Night demons. is kind of their, kind yeah. of their Satan <laughs> yeah. of sorts. And 
the forts are ridiculously huge and they're like I said much earlier they're they're a thousand feet high or so mm-hmm. which is bigger than the wall and there yeah. are five of these things and they're each can garrison like 10,000 men so. yeah, I can't help it when I when I see that well one I think about you know take it with a grain of salt a little bit but I also think about the fact that um, when George I, I forget when it's when he said it exactly but there's a quote that he that he said that I, I, I stuck with me when he saw when he saw like the wall and the, for Game of Thrones or something like that, um, he was like, "I made it too tall. I made it too tall." And so, if that's too, if that's too tall, and that's like magic. Uh, then, and this what, is uh, what do we make of this? What thing? do we make of this? I tend to think that it's a bit of an exaggeration, but also very tall. And these walls, keeping made of blackstone, fused blackstone with no blackstone. like no cuts. It's just it's just yeah. it's not like there's no mortar. There's no. Yeah, just like so, big slabs. It's, so it's compared yeah. to the Valyrian citadels, and it's not described as oily, so I don't think it's that oily black stone, but it would be interesting if it was, and if it was used to keep out not for the others, some kind of other-like thing. Is it just wrong? I, I, it's so far off, it's hard to know, but it sure sounds like it, to keep the Lion of Night and his demons from the realms of men... A wall, a thousand foot feet yeah, high. Yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. Sounds and, like and, the wall and a lot. This, this area that... that that the forts stand on the edge of is yeah. called the Grey Waste. Yeah, it's so like it kind of which makes me think of another one of the hinges of the world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, like maybe they attacked from that region a long time ago, and then the, they prophesied that the doom of man would come from beyond the Narrow Sea next time, and so now it's going to come from Westeros again. Maybe it, I, I just. I can't help but think that there has to have been an attack from uh, you know from the far regions of Essos beyond the, like by the bones. Um, yeah, that really, yeah, it really could have happened, something like that. Yeah, and, and I, of course, the stories wouldn't necessarily have reached Westeros, and certainly not intact. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, they, with all the, just they with happened all the tales. that long ago. Yeah, just all the tales of, of Azor Ahai equivalents in Essos. Similarly, I don't think it would have reached all the way there, and they would have had these huge, you know, these all these all these stories uh, of someone up at the wall. You know? Yeah. I, I, I just, anyways, I. Really interesting. Um, but some of those greasy black stones, um, one is on the Isle of Toads. Uh, it's a it's a greasy black stone crudely carved into the semblance of a gigantic toad. Uh, 40 feet high. Yeah, 40 feet <laughs> high. But yeah, the, 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 some of these people um, on this isle are believed to have descended from those who carved it, um, for they have an, a fish-like, a fish-like aspect to their faces, and many have webbed feet. Again, hands. this is... Lovecraft. Yeah, Lovecraft. So yeah, it's very interesting there. Um, and there's also this great story of this this city called Yin that we mentioned briefly. Yeah, yeah. And how Yin, even Nymeria and her people yeah. went there, and Yin is people have tried to resettle it, and it just it always ends in nightmare. Yeah, people, and the jungle never just hardly touches it. Um, yeah, yeah, the jungle Nymeria, won't go near it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, Nymeria says a city so evil that even the jungle will not enter. And this this reminds us a bit of Ashai, really. Yeah. Because Ashai also, apparently, nothing grows there either. Yeah, and Ashai is also made of this black stone. It's built entirely of black stone, and it has a greasy, unpleasant feel to it. The stone of Ashai does. Yeah, it, it kind of light. absorbs the light, so people so, say it's dark there That's no pretty what. clear. That's obviously an example of the greasy stone as well. Um, and the Ashai, and, you have no idea where their city came from. They, yeah. they kind of think of... Okay, they're idea of when their city came from is very similar to the Seastone Chair and the High Tower. In other words, they don't know. They have no idea. It's they kind of their legends kind of they are so helpless in this regard that they basically just say it's always been there. Yeah. And Asha is the size of King's Landing, Bravos 
and Volantis combined. Mm -hmm. But it only has a, it only has about the size of the population of like a market town. Yeah, and there's no um, children there. No children. Yeah. <laughs> How crazy! We'll and talk creepy. a little bit about um, the, some, what that could mean, but um, the, the, and this just all ties. I think this all ties together with the whole things not growing there. Maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe if, if, if people if, if plants and animals don't grow, mm -hmm. then why would babies? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Where, um, are they, where are they getting people from? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in UT, um, we also had another mention of that Blackstone there. Um, this is one where we don't know if it's, it's not described as the greasy Blackstone or oily, but it is, it's about um, the Bloodstone Emperor uh, who cast down the true gods to worship a black stone that had fallen from the sky. Which just uh, sounds like them worshiping this this toad, the the black toad yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's just I, I feel like it similar. maybe is like that. Um, I so I included it that for that for that reason, but it isn't described as greasy. Um, so yeah, so the, definitely keep your eye out for all those those black stones. Yeah, there's no way we we, yeah. we probably caught all the black stone references. Yeah, I mean there's other black stones that aren't described through, as though. oily or greasy. Like Harrenhal has black stone, but that's not oily or greasy. But it's it's certainly inter interesting when doing a search for black stone. What comes up? Yeah. Um, Valyrian the Valyrians used black stone as well often. Um, that fused black stone. So speaking of Valyria, there's a lot of discussion yeah. of, of ancient Valyria. A lot of it's really hazy because well. The, the doom mm. destroyed Valyria, and of course, most of the records that were there would have been destroyed with it. Uh, so there is a good bit though on them, and there's quite a bit on Valyria. There's a lot, a good bit on the Giscari Empire as well, and a lot on the two of them together as they fought each other. And over the centuries, they had all these different wars. There's a lot, a lot of new detail there, and of course, the children, quote unquote, of Valyria, not mm -hmm. the children, of course, <laughs> but the children of Valyria, uh, such as the Nine Free Cities, but there's others. There are a lot of Valyrian settlements that have been abandoned, that some of them mm -hmm. are out there that are described in detail. Yeah. Uh, there's a place called Gogossos that used to be called Gozai that was founded by the Giscari but conquered by Valyria. And in Valyria, there's a great quote here, in mm -hmm. the flesh pits, blood sorcery, the darkest sort, was practiced as beasts were mated to slave women to bring forth twisted half-human children. So any of these crazy, weird races that you see yeah. out there, like the brindled men of Sothorius, especially because Gagasus is in Sothorius, yeah. these could be the result of these genetic breeding experiments. Yeah. And it also really is a tantalizing clue towards how the dragons and the ancient Valyrians... Mm -hmm. you know did their thing because the blood of the dragon if that's like at all even slightly literal then there's some sort of cross beating with humans and dragons <laughs> and there's evidence for that with the way some of these targaryen babies were born yeah it's with true. their tails and scales and wings sometimes and obviously daenerys's child had, yeah. had all those things basically yeah. so it's mm -hmm. it might on the surface the idea that the valyrians actually crossbred themselves with dragons is kind of sounds kind of silly but there's actually a decent bit of circumstantial evidence for it yeah so we can't throw it out. It's a definitely a, an idea that has merit. Mm -hmm. um, and connecting again with Ashai here, Ashai in the shadow, um, there's some evidence that the first dragons came from this the shadow area, or maybe that the dragons mm -hmm. were the product of some of these similar but more ancient crossbreeding experiments. Wyverns are a thing in Sothorios, and wyverns mm -hmm. are kind of like smaller dragons in a lot of ways they don't breathe fire either mm -hmm. and there's also these fire worms that the valyrians discovered while doing all their extensive mining beneath those volcanoes yeah. called the 14 fires 
And, well, I mean, a fireworm and a wyvern combined would be a dragon, basically. Yeah. So you never know if, if you know, maybe they've, they, they toyed with these things. They were yeah. certainly steeped in sorcery, from what we're told. Genetically modified. So. <laughs> GMO wyverns. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I will never eat GMO dragon yeah. meat. No, I'll eat all the GMO dragon meat you serve me. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, about that uh, the children thing is really, I just get stuck on that, uh, on the no children and a shy thing. And... It's so far off. Like we said, they th- the people in Ashai think that Casually Rock is made of gold. It's a palace made of gold. So really, how, how you know how serious can we take some of these claims? Um, it could just be wrong. It could just be flat out incorrect. There are children there. There, it's just wrong. Mm. Um, it's possible they just keep their children in an area of the city that the reporter didn't see, or that they keep them out of sight. They keep them outside the city. You know, it could be something like that. They do have children. It could be that they just are infertile. That they're sterile, like as he said. That they just. Just like food can't grow there, people can't grow people. But, <laughs> it makes uh, sense because they also said that no animals could survive. Yeah, there. no animals could survive. So, and Septon Barth, there's a magical explanation for that. So, mm-hmm. I believe yeah. Septon Barth. So, <laughs> if it's right though, and there are no, there are no children, like, like if, and it means that they don't have children, because there have to be some children. I, I, we we know that. Like, how does the population it's a transplant continue. of entire it's, it's because, the city of transplants or yeah, something so we know like we know that melisandre was sold to the red temple as a child so possibly they just buy their children which would mean there are children there but um that would be how they would continue it just by buying children um yeah, and I, shipping I them in that explanation isn't satisfy doesn't satisfy me though because it's just like what are they all they're all slaves it yeah, they're all they were all were slaves and they there's definitely no just something there. we haven't been told yeah and, and it seems like the citizens of just of Ashai have really long lives. They have to sustain this population. Yeah. And they're only a small market town. Clearly, it's not a lot of people want to live there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they have to have either have children or bring them in. Um, so Melisandre could have been born there, um, which would indicate And she is, children. of course, as we mentioned, she is really, really old. So the fact that yeah. her age might be... Common related it, to yeah. this Ashai not having children, maybe they have really long lives. Yeah, and I, yeah maybe it, who knows? Yeah. It, instead of because if if you think of if you imagine it as just a, a zone of where nothing can grow, mm-hmm. nothing nothing is fertile. It may also be that things are static time wise, and mm-hmm. no one aging is slowed down or something. I don't, I'm yeah, just making things up, yeah, but. I, I we, that's say, all we have to go on. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting when we were talking about this. Um, I had always had the impression that Melisandre was sent to a shy, that she was sold there. Um, whereas when I was talking about it with Aziz, he had more um, he had more thought that she uh, was born there. Uh, well, I I don't think that she's necessarily born there. You, just, you just had more of that impression than yeah. I did. I had I had more of the impression of before. You know, neither of us were sold on either one of the uh, you know either one. Yeah. But you were like, oh well, if Melisandre was born there. And I had just never even really thought that she could have been born there. I just never. I, it's just interesting what our what our impressions yeah. are. What were your impressions? Doesn't you seem like. Comment, she, doesn't did seem you like think she, she was born there? there? <laughs> but uh, so, so are they sterile? Can yeah. they only have shadow babies? <laughs> that's what it does to you living in Ashai. <laughs> All your babies come out as shadows. Yeah. So that's a big mystery. Yeah. We have been told that we're not originally. I think I think George originally intended Daenerys to go to Eshai when he first mm-hmm. was running the series, but that is not the case anymore. Mm-mm. She's definitely not going to Eshai. We're not going to see Eshai in the books. That's what he's George has said that. But there is an exception. We might see some of it in Melisandre's flashbacks. Yeah, we've already. It's already established that she's a POV character. She's so. already been thinking about that kind of thing with her Melanie Lot 7, you know. Mm-hmm. She clearly, she hasn't just put it all behind her. They definitely have Slayers and Eshai, so that's, that's, you know, that fits. 
So yeah. although we don't know that she was sold there or to there or from there, or we won't. Yeah, we don't. We, <laughs> yeah, it's we not know that sure. she was named Melanie, and then Lot Seven, or maybe that was her mother's name. <laughs> I mean, her child was sold with her. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot of other references. There's references to the giants. There's talk about the children of the forest. Of course, there's a long section on the first men, the Andals. He's very praising of the Andals because that's what. You know, everybody is for the most part. They're the dominant yeah. race in Westeros. But there's also the Rhoynar. And the Rhoynar, there's, we, we said there's a long story about them, about, Nymer, about Nymeria's wanderings. Yeah. And if, But before that, there's some things so as well. About their cities. Their cities um, and their technology and how they brought yeah. a lot of technology with them. They yeah. brought a lot of the, the craftsmen that came with Nymeria, with, with all the Dor- uh, all the Rhoynish people, really mm-hmm. made uh, Dorne more, uh, not a, more of a melting pot than it already was and really made it a standout region for being so different and having, you know, greater technology and better arts and crafts and things like that. And that played a huge role mm-hmm. in Nymeria helping Mors Martell conquer Dorne. Yeah. And of course we talked about the, the deep ones and then the old ones and more Lovecraft references again. A couple things about House Dane that are a little odd. Uh, you know, it's mentioned that the Valerians are unusual in their look and that they have this silver hair, gold, silver slash gold hair in their purple eyes, which no one else mm-hmm. really has. And why do the Danes have that? The Danes, yeah. for the most part, all the Danes we've seen are, are to some degree along those lines. They're not pure yeah. gold hair, but uh, Edric Dane has air, hair so... Uh, it's it's more it's like ash colored he says yeah. or it, yeah so it's it's like silvery ash colored and you know dark star has silver and black hair yeah. but they all they all have the purple eyes and and um yeah so and that's that's a bit of a mystery yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's not they're not Valyrian though it's uh it's pretty clear that they're not Valyrian yeah. but it's possible that they and they've been there a long time I mean their sigil they've got the yeah. dawn has existed for a long time yeah. there's there's theories that dawn itself is Lightbringer. I know yeah. Ilio and Linda like that yeah. theory a lot. There's, I, I, and that that's I, why the sword of the morning, the, the sword of the morning, is an office created to help protect morning. it. Yeah. Dawn, yeah, yeah stopping a, a long night. Yeah. Those things fit really well. Yeah. And yeah. even House Dane itself, day. if you think day, House Day, Dane, you know, it's yeah. the, the word day. We, is we even see in a there. sword of the evening in the book as well. I that's right, say. a sword of the yeah. evening. And dark stars of the night. That's <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, he is of the night. Huh. So. There's also a lot on uh, the. There's a couple. There's a lot on the Dothraki as well. There's a mm-hmm. good bit on them and how they came, how they emerged. And there's some talk of this area north of where the Kingdom of Sarnor used to be, north of where the Dothraki Sea is, mm-hmm. where there are these strange forest people that might be oh, yeah. cousins to the children of the forest yeah, in their yeah. description. They're called the the Forest Walkers or something. The Wood King, Walkers. King Wood Walkers, that's right. The, the Kingdom Walkers. of the Ifiqueveron or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I have no idea how to say that word. <laughs> but um, that is a very tantalizing glimpse into a possible mm-hmm. connection to Westerosi things mm-hmm. in Essos. Uh, if there's some sort of similar children huh. or they could just be something else uh, yeah who knows interesting so um, we, we mentioned that we were going to talk about a few errors that yeah, were in the just, books there'll be apparently uh there'll be a page for all of the errors um eventually uh elio said on the forum um but they aren't there right now some of the errors are corrected in later printings um and in the digital copy but just a few examples of some of the errors that, like you could look for um family trees have a lot of the errors um basic ones like 
Arya or Arya Targaryen and Rhaenys Targaryen listed as boys instead of girls. <laughs> so you just got a triangle. They've made it, instead of a triangle, it's a square. Or Jamie spelled Jamie like J A M I E. Yeah, there's a Muriel Lannister who spelled yeah. Myel. Myel. Uh, a little a, bit bigger of one is the Benedict Rogers. Benedict Rogers, you'll see in the Stark family tree, but that should be Benedict Royce. Yes, yeah. there is Benedict another Rogers. Rogers, a Harold Rogers, and he should be a Rogers. That so. is a, that is the correct yeah. Rogers. <laughs> a more notable one um, is that Lady Forlorn um, is listed as not being Valyrian. St- I mean, is listed as being Valyrian steel, and this is a you know, far back in history. Now this is, but yeah, this is before, this is right when the Andals came. Yeah. So there's pretty much no way a Valyrian steel yeah. blade existed in Westeros at that time, and Rand has even said that that was an error. Yes. However, the modern Lady Forlorn is a Valyrian steel blade, so we're my best guess is that it's the same as what happened with the Valyrian yeah. uh, greatsword Ice, which the Starks had. Mm-hmm. The Starks had a blade called Ice, and then they got this Valyrian steel blade that they also named Ice, so it kind of mm-hmm. took the place. So this is probably what happened to oh. They probably had some famous sword called Lady Forlorn that was passed yeah. down. And then they got a Valyrian steel blade and decided to give it that same name. Mm-hmm. It, may even, it may even say him to have the same hilt or something like that. Or the, you know, the, oh. some other detail that's, mm-hmm. that's similar to the original version. But there's pretty much no way that, uh, that, that this blade existed this, mm-hmm. that far ago. There's just no examples of Valyrian steel blades being in Westeros really but anywhere near that time period. Yeah. There's also some possibly purposeful inconsistencies. We're guessing they're on purpose. So. A lot of them are. It's, it's we, The thing is that they're supposed to be inconsistencies yeah. because they're supposed to be maesters that are wrong and disagree with each other. But until it's the one confusing thing about that is is you can't necessarily tell the difference yeah. between an actual error and an intentional one. These yeah. misspellings are clearly but errors. Luckily, These family tree things are clearly yeah. errors. Yeah, those but, are clearly. But luckily we have Elio and Linda on the forum. We, you can just comment you can say hey is this an inconsistency or an error and they can clarify it which is great um and they will have that page which will even more clarify it but one is that lomas longstrider is listed is they said lomas lomas longstrider has never been to a shy though and then they also say lomas longstrider said about a shy yeah when, he's, when he talked to merchants there and so like clearly like they, they it wasn't just like he said of a shy it made it clear like he had been to a shy um so i think that's one of those intentional yeah, i think, that, I believe I think that's so an intentional too. inconsistency um so there's just a few other things like that that you could maybe catch, but some of them might be on accident. Um, okay. Certainly worth uh, if you're on the forum or anything. There's a thread where people are talking about it, at least mentioning it. Um, okay, well we don't have a whole lot of time yeah, left. We're like, going to get into. Yeah, we only have 15 minutes. We're going to get into the uh, things that relate to the main storyline as much as possible. These yeah. are these these could be considered if you consider anything in this book a spoiler. These are the biggest yeah. spoilers. I would yeah. say. So, yeah. First, this may be uh, something you don't want to hear yet, but yeah. if you do, you know, let's 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 move forward here. Yeah. So, the first uh, biggest one, the one that j- jumped out at me immediately, mm-hmm. um, it has huge implications for uh, the Blackfire theory. I mean, um, the, as in that Aegon the Sixth is a Blackfire, yeah, that and Illyrio and Varys may yeah, have ties to the Specifically that, uh, that Sarah is possibly a descendant, uh, she's one of the female Blackfires, um, a descendant from them, and that's where he gets some Targaryen heritage um, is a theory, and the daughters of Jaehaerys and Alysanne, there are three of them in a row, and it's very, I, I can't, I, I don't think it could just be a mistake, uh, clearly no, not, like no it's way, clearly yeah. meant on purpose, and it could, e- I, I would easily accept that it's meant to not be a red herring, but meant to draw your attention, to think about the Blackfires, and to think about Sarah and Illyrio, but not that Sarah is descended from a Blackfire, I think that's perfectly valid as well. 
But I don't think it's on accident that this is in there. I think we're meant to be thinking about Illyrio Sarah. So the details are like this: yeah. we have a, we have one name for Sarah, yeah, who and it has she, Sarah it's spelled V I S E R R A. That's exactly how the Sarah part is exactly the woman that Illyrio talks about being in love with mm-hmm. that he, you know, kept her stone hands yeah. after she died of grayscale, yeah. and Viserra's sister Majel yeah. died. Of grayscale, yeah, and Sarah S A E R A sounds like just sounds like Sarah. She went overseas and became uh, the owner of a, a famous brothel mm-hmm. in Lease. Lease is where. Well, I th- I, it's not clear. It's not clear if it's an old old Volantis or Lease. She okay. went to Lease for a while, and then she went to old Volantis, and I, I'm not sure. Okay, if well, that's not important. In any case, yeah. she was she was the proprietor of a famous brothel. And that's, you know, where Illyrio, Illyrio met this Sarah at, at, a, at a brothel. This wouldn't be the house. same Sarah. It course. wouldn't, this yeah. Is, this is long before and that. It wouldn't be, and it wouldn't be the same pillow house, obviously. But it's, it's meant to draw a comparison between, you know, the, each of those three daughters has something in common with Sarah, mm-hmm. basically. And, and the story that Illyrio tells about her. So it's really, yeah. that is a big, kind of hit us right in the face. Yeah, there. huge. Um, so yeah, it, I, so I that, that gives a lot more credit to the Blackfire theory. Yeah, that, that, in general. That, that and, and to the Sarah as a as the descendant of a female, uh, you know, as a female Blackfire yep. um, theory in particular. But in general, I, I, I think it supports just the general Blackfire, you know, um, theory, period. So we also have some new detail on Rhaegar and Lyanna. Mm-hmm. And one in pic- particularly important piece of detail that we never really got our hands on, and, we, and still there's a piece of this that's missing, but how did Rhaegar and Lyanna meet? Where did Rhaegar, quote-unquote, abduct? Of course, we think yeah. runaway is probably more yeah. likely. How, where did they meet to run off together? It wasn't after the tournament at Harrenhal. I mean, not right after. Yeah. It was a, a good bit later. Well, it's possible... What we're told in the book, but in the World of Ice and Fire, is that... Rhaegar would come face to face with Lyanna again within about ten leagues of Harrenhal. Yeah, it says not ten leagues from Harrenhal. Within ten yeah. leagues of Harrenhal is not very far. Yeah. So nobody suspects the butterfly and tumbler. Um, she used the wall, a nice map. She used a map um, where the wall is, you know, 300, 300 miles. She used that um, to scale um, to figure out what about. You know what about uh, thirty miles, ten leagues would be from Harrenhal, and you looked at the radius around it using this scale. Um, and the Isle of Faces is just in the radius, and not much else is. Yeah, it's just a bunch of empty space. Yeah, they could have maybe just seen each other on the road, but the Isle of Faces is a spot right there. So maybe Liana was headed down with the marriage party to River Run, um, and she wanted to make a pilgrimage there. That would be a pretty good cover for getting away. Possibly. The marriage being Brandon's marriage. Oh yeah. To yeah. Brandon Stark's marriage to Catelyn. So that's that, that's. I mean, I, I don't know how well she would have gotten within ten leagues of Harrenhal because River Run is, you know, not, I, I, you can't see back there, but it's not not exactly close to Harrenhal. It's north of it. They would have had. She would have had to go past River Run mm-hmm. to go there. She would have had to have an excuse. I don't. I, I'm not sure how she would have gotten there, but it, it makes sense if she was going to get anywhere away from. You know, on the without, other hand. Mm-hmm. We can't take ten leagues literally, necessarily. Yeah, not yeah. It's true. We can't take that exactly literally, but we. It's probably not super. I can't. I feel like it has to be at least somewhat close to that. Yeah, I doubt it. I, I doubt, doubt it's, it's like they met. Like they met vale, up in the yeah. Vale. You know, mm-hmm. I, I doubt it's anything like that. It could have been just farther than ten leagues, but it is worth noting that the Isle of Faces is exactly within that radius. Yes. So. Uh, makes it interesting we're told um, that no one can go to the isle of faces but that's just you yeah. know this is again the maesters talking about magical have, things they also could have just met not on the isle of faces right that's true 
<laughs> just right like, out, just right next on to the it. Shore on the shore of yeah. it, which would also be within ten. But it's like a, a a landmark for them to meet at. You know, it just yeah. it makes more sense than let's meet, uh, you know, ten leagues from here and all on this dirt <laughs> road. <laughs> so that's a lot of lots lots of digest. There's a lot of Rhaegar and Lyanna stuff that maybe you guys have some ideas we didn't come up with. Um, there's also this mention of the one of the details that wasn't in the Princess and the Queen was the. Uh, the Pact of Ice and Fire, which of course makes us think of things like Rhaegar and Lyanna and mm-hmm. Jon Snow and things like that. Originally, it was that Kragen Stark, uh, Lord of Winterfell during the Dance of the Dragons, was promised a Targaryen princess for his family. And this did not happen because the Dance of the Dragons, well, it, a lot of Targaryen princess died. Or there weren't any left. So this never happened. But the concept and the fact that there was given that name is just really cool. So... Something more to think about there. The yeah. Pact of Ice and Fire. It's like the same uh, same uh, acronym as Podcast of Ice and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but... Also, there's an interesting note that, that uh, the Tarths may have... The Tarths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you. Brienne and, and her family and her ancestors may have Targaryen blood. Yeah. So there's certainly... the no- Basically, what we know is that Dunk is probably an ancestor of Brienne. Mm-hmm. Dunk... Probably married before joining the Kingsguard. It's an idea. This is a lot, some of this theory comes from our friend Kalgmoth, who goes by the name Lord Varus on uh, the Westeros.org forums, and he's a great theorist and gatherer of information. He's he's got a great eye for these sort of things, especially family stuff and and, and lineages. And so he he he's putting forth the idea that after Duncan Egg returned to Summerhall, um, Dunk meets and maybe falls in love with Dayella who is uh, the sister that Egg was supposed to marry that he didn't marry. Mm-hmm. And he maybe marries her instead, Dunk does. And maybe they have children and Diella dies later mm-hmm. and that's why he joins the Kingsguard maybe because he mm-hmm. doesn't want to remarry and he doesn't, you know, he's already had a family, all that. But this this offspring would be the one who maybe goes and marries into uh, House Tarth. Yeah. So it fits really nicely. Yeah, certainly. Um, if, if Dunk is gonna be an ancestor, it has to happen some way. He can't right. just have not had kids. And remember that George said that Dunk has ancestors out there, so yeah. he definitely descendants. Descendants. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he <laughs> so. definitely has ancestors. <laughs> so, if given that he joined the Kingsguard and he that he had an- that he had uh, predecessors, then or ancestors. <laughs> I'm just bad at this. Descendants. <laughs> descendants. <laughs> and uh, descendants. Damn it. So, that means he had to have had kids before he joined the Kingsguard. Yeah. So, this, that's part of the reason this theory fits so yeah. well. So, yeah. yeah. So, that's pretty cool. It might be some dragon blood in, in Brienne. I don't yeah. think that's going to matter, but it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. We yeah. also have a lot more about Ares and Joanna and Tywin. Their yeah. whole, th- uh, you know, love triangle sort of thing. <laughs> Basically, triangle. this is a really major one. We're going to have to do an episode on this. We're just going to do this very briefly because it's one of the major, it's one of the yeah, major, mary- <laughs> major mysteries of A Song of Ice and Fire as well as being something that's going to be talked about a lot coming up because it's mentioned in this book and this is new material. The, the possibility, and there's two major theories that are out there. One is that Ares is the father, well, I guess there's a third version as well, but the main two versions are that Ares is the father of Jamie and Cersei, or that he's the father of Tyrion. A third very minority group believes that both is possible. I really don't see that mm-hmm. happening, but I guess that's got to be considered slightly possible. Anyway, the dates this maester throws out as far as where people were and when kind of makes the Cersei-Jamie thing... Almost impossible. Not in, not entirely impossible, but close to impossible. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a lot less likely than people who believe in the theory would have led to believe, uh, would have, were maybe led themselves to believe initially. Mm-hmm. However, in the case of Tyrion, we have this very blatant clue about when Tyrion was born as compared to when Joanna made one of her very few visits to, to, uh, to King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And we know that Aerys and Joanna had a relationship of some kind mm-hmm. uh, before she married Tywin. So, Jamie and Cersei, probably not Tywin's, yeah. or probably you know, not Aerys's, but Tyrion very possibly is. Certainly there's yeah. no proof one way or the other, but yeah. I think that the, 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 the to summarize, the, the theory about Jamie and Cersei is m- almost dead in the water, but the theory about Tyrion is stronger than it was. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't help but think that uh, the, they have a bit about, you know, um, Tywin uh, tried to resign, you know, um, during that time um, yes. that we were talking about. And I can't help but think that, you know, if his wife was raped, he would have resigned. It would have been like, no, he tried to resign. I feel like he would have. Like, uh, that. that's just one one little detail that's, that stood out to me in terms of, you know, weighing it. Um, unless, On the other hand, he tried to resign... In all we're told, he tried to resign in response to Tywin just embarrassing her in in court, and it yeah. wasn't. That seems like a really weak reason to resign, considering he's yeah. considering if you read the, all the history of Tywin yeah. and Ares, Ares gives Tywin just gives him shit constantly. He, yeah. he, was, he was dumping on him all the time. He was undermining him. He was making him look bad constantly. So maybe this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. But on the other hand. You're right. Like in in a sense, like why wouldn't he, if if it was something like rape, then he would have just resigned. He would have just resigned. Like. But it didn't have to be rape. Yeah. And it's it's not necessarily true that Tywin would would just resign if he thought that people if he thought that this would cast aspersions on yeah. him. If he thought that people Possibly. would find out, Tywin's a very proud man. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few things that everyone can agree on about Tywin. There's no doubt. Tywin's extremely proud. Okay. Uh, he he can't possibly if he knew. Rather, what I'm saying is if he if he didn't want people to know this happened, he wouldn't make a big deal out of it because yeah. that's worse. He would rather people not know that this thing, this whole event happened, that his wife was shamed in this way than he would, you know, he'd rather just carry it around and just not have people know. Because he's more, he's more, he's, he doesn't, that's the worst thing that could happen is people finding out. The fact that it happened one way or another is one thing, but people finding out is just way worse. That's that's the kind of guy Tywin is, mm-hmm. but we're going to um, get into more. Yeah, detail we got to we got to wrap this up. I think we're, we might actually be a little over. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we will be coming back with some very some more detailed uh, episodes on the world of ice and fire, just the history of, of yeah. Westeros in general. And we're going to be you uh, comment, tell us. Of course, us yeah. Give you us wanna... your give us your favorite topics that you want to hear us talk about. We've already got a long list, but feel free to help make it longer. <laughs> All right, folks. Until next time, Valar Morgulis. <laughs>